Howdy, everybody, and welcome to the BP Movie Journal, the show we do where we talk about the stuff we've seen since the last time we did one of these. I'm David. I'm Tyler. And it has been a while, it, but it, yes, it seems like you and I have not been as busy movie-watching-wise because we've been quite busy in other ways right. as we normally would have been in this time period. And so we have a lot to talk about, mm. but we've definitely had more in the past. This, yes, is, this is manageable. I am excited. Not if we keep going on and on like this. But well, yeah. that's true. I am excited... Uh, that my well i'm excited for next week i'll say that next week i got two screenings uh can you say what they are the beguiled oh yeah and uh of the war for the planet of the apes of the oh right um (laughs) but um as uh, west anthony would say um well, yeah, it was very exciting when 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 I got in my email the invite of the screening of the War of the Planet of the Apes. Um, uh, anyway, that's but silly. Yeah. So I'm I'm excited that like aside from finishing a paper tomorrow, and by the way, I have not left myself nearly enough time to do that. Uh-huh. But hey, somebody wanted to interview me today, so. What you say no? I don't think so. Yeah, I was, uh, I those papers that. don't pay the bills. Um, so I, uh, well, you got paid uh, to be interviewed? No, but the <laughs> podcast stuff. <laughs> I see. You know, see. the guy who interviewed you today. Uh, it was a website called Zeke Film. They were uh, they really plugged the hell out of uh, my book, which is nice. nice. So you know, if uh, if even. Uh, David, if even twenty people uh, buy my book, then it is extremely worth it. There you go. Um, that book's if, available at, uh, more than one lesson.com more than one lesson.com. Uh, but yeah. worth watching. So it's now not just that, a clever name. It's worth reading. Oh, indeed. Yes. Uh, once I am done with school, I'm done until January aside from, uh, interning. And so I'm super excited to be seeing movies again. And by the way, my internship, is I'm helping a film critic. Uh, I'm helping friend of the show Stephen Farber out with uh, his screening series in Los Angeles. So I will also on Monday be seeing uh, uh, Mary Curie. Mary Curie. Okay. I don't know if that's how you pronounce it, but sounds uh, about right. But yeah, so I'm excited about that. Um, I'm, does the trailer for that go Mary Curie? <laughs> Is that Mary Riley? Yeah, that's a, <laughs> that's a top shelf Mary Riley reference right there. <laughs> who, who remembers Mary Riley? Specifically, who remembers the trailer? I never right. even saw Mary Riley, but I remember the trailer. Mary Riley. Did you see the movie? No, I, I just said I never saw Sorry, it. Sorry, I wasn't. I was, <laughs> you weren't listening. You were pulling a real David there. Yeah. Well, that's what I thought you said, and I was like, uh, okay, I'm going to ask anyway. But, um,. That's uh, the whispering. Mm-hmm. You might recall uh, you and I had a good laugh when the Mothman prophecies came out uh-huh. because in the trailer, uh, I never saw that film, by the way. I heard, oh, it's, I heard yeah, it's pretty it's good. Not bad. Not bad. Uh, so the main character, I, uh, Richard Gere, right? Uh-huh. He's like in a that's phone booth. The, I mean, that's the actor. I don't think oh, he's not playing himself. <laughs> no, I don't think he's oh, playing himself. <laughs> you know what? I'm not. I'm less interested in it. Um, but he's he's like in a phone booth and he's talking to somebody on the on the phone and uh, and he says like, "What am I holding in my hand?" And the and the guy goes, "Chapstick." And I was like, "Chap." And you and I laughed because like <laughs> the word chapstick has never been so menacing. Right. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, whispering stuff is uh, in trailers can be very effective. Yeah. I think. I want to watch that movie again. I remember liking it. You um, know what? Maybe I'll watch it over the summer. We could watch it together. Yeah, sure. That's what we'll do. We know that's oh. not going to happen. Oh, I'm just thinking about, do we have, because our fall commentary, right? Okay. Is going to be, uh, it's usually horror related. Yeah. Do we have something picked out yet? We have some options. Okay. 
Because we could do like a cryptozoology thing, right? <laughs> I think I'm going to need to know what you mean. Like um, Incident at Loch Ness. Okay. Right? All right. Harry and the Hendersons. Obviously. Right? Okay. The Mothman prophecies. Got it. What else? Who, 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 what are some other? Uh, there's got to be a movie about the Chupacabra, right? Oh, undoubtedly. Yeah. There, is there a movie about Slenderman? Um, there's that documentary on HBO. Yeah, but I but think that see now we're crossing from cryptozoology into urban legends. Which oh right, I think it's kind so of it it's kind of a square rectangle situation okay. where I think all cryptozoology is urban legends, but not all urban legends are cryptozoology. Got you it. know what I mean? Got it. Okay. Yeah, uh, yeah, probably chupacabra. Now my guess would be let's. I would say let's not do this because we tend to want to do movies that anybody has seen. Every, everyone has seen Harry and the Hendersons. That's true. That could, it, we could lead off with that. That's going to be our uh, oh our anchor. Uh-huh, yeah, uh, but uh, <laughs> and that will carry us through Incident in Log Ness, which nobody saw, but everybody should. Everyone should. But we're not movie. talking about that those movies today. No. What movies are we talking about, David? Um. We're talking about, like, uh, uh, a bunch of movies. Um, I was going to say, you know, this is on my mind, because we have a guest this week on the main show, so I can't, like, just run my mouth about whatever's on right. my mind. Uh, I've been on a, on, on a, on a tear recently okay. with uh, reading about predictions of what it will be like in Los Angeles after the big one hits, the big earthquake. That's a which hell is of com- a tear. It is coming. We are so far overdue. Like, it's going to happen yeah. within our lifetimes like los angeles as a city like hasn't existed since like or like the last time there was a quote-unquote big one the city didn't really exist yet it was like in the 1850s and so we're way overdue well, there were some pretty big ones not the big one but there's some pretty the big, big one like okay. and like an 8.0 on the san andreas fault is gonna fuck shit up and it's going to happen. Like we can't, it's not st- sure. the stuff of like a rock, the you know, movie with the rock. Um, although the way that it was depicted in San Andreas, I've learned, I've read right. is not accurate, but, um, it's going to be bad. Like, it's an odd thing for you to latch onto. I gotta say, I think it just dawned on me that it was, that I think it's something that all Angelino just sort of put in the back of their minds, but it dawned on me like, Oh, this is going to happen in my lifetime. And I'm planning on living in Los Angeles. I should be prepared. I am prepared. My wife and I have an earthquake preparedness kit. Yeah. I think about earthquakes kind of a lot um, anyway, but I just started to like, okay, I need to prepare myself. What's it, what's it going to be like? Here's what's funny. Here's what it's going to be like. Okay. <laughs> the more damage will be done, not by the earthquake, but by the fires because fires will start sure. and there'll be more fires at one time than the city's resources are able to take care of. Right. And so the small fires will become big fires and large parts of the city are going to be destroyed by fire. The, um, because of where the San Andreas fault is, the roads that bring supplies into the city, uh, are going to be for up to maybe six months, like not even traversable. So it's going to be a slow recovery and it's expected that we will see a large dwindling of the populate population of Los Angeles within the, a year of the big one because people will just find it not livable anymore and will leave like they did after Katrina or whatever. Okay. Now here's what I need to do. Okay. Okay. I need to take a photo of you right now because you're in a rumpled suit. Your tie <laughs> is loose and you were just being like, no, 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 you don't understand. You don't understand what's but going on here, but I'm not like the, the, the aliens, uh, <laughs> you know, guy on the, the alien autopsy. What's the guy? What is that guy's name? I, I don't, don't know. Remember. The meme. There who's a meme. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm not him because this is not like 
pseudoscience. Yeah. Like this shit is gonna happen. No, I know. I, I know. <laughs> Are you saying that, uh, we should wake up people, stuff like that. I'm saying we should be, be prepared. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, you have to be like, you've got you have your, an earthquake preparedness kit. Yeah. Okay, good. We have uh well, we have a bunch of, we have a bunch of first aid kits of various genres for this, uh, adoption thing. Oh, uh, cool. you have to be ready for basically anything. we've got a all rope, right. uh, we've got a rope ladder and all that, all right. which we're not going to need when we move uh, to the new place, but Hey, maybe the big one will happen in between. Um, let me ask you that between, yeah. uh, now and when we move, um, I don't mean to dismiss you because when I was younger, this really, this got me a lot. Uh, but I wonder if, uh, what is it now that is setting this off in you, this concern? I'm sure there was something, but I don't, okay. I don't, I don't remember. I mean, okay. I, I don't know. I, I've always been fascinated since I've not always, but since I lived in Los Angeles, I've always been fascinated by earthquakes. I've always sort of weirdly enjoyed when an earthquake hits. Sure. It's kind of fun, but like, I think about, yeah, that's when it, the ground shakes for like, five to 10 seconds. Right. Like when the, I'm going to keep using the term when the big one happens, the ground is going to shake for like three minutes straight. Yeah. Um, it's going to be intense. Uh, and I, I, I guess, I don't know. I don't know what clicked. I know my wife and I were talking about like, um, uh, one time when we were in a movie theater, we were at the arc light, arc light in Hollywood. Uh, when there was an earthquake, we were watching the brothers bloom. Uh, the earthquake was the best part of the movie. Um, and, uh, I thought like, uh, I, I like, I thought someone was just like, even in a the movie theater, someone like, and like shakes the whole row. Yeah. I thought someone was just like getting up really awkwardly. No. And I was like looking to either side of me. And I said to Natalie, I was like, what, what is that? And she was like, it's an earthquake. Cause she's, you know, she's a SoCal native. Yeah. She knows it's an earthquake and she's fine. The movie keeps going. And then like the earth stopped shaking or whatever. And there's a woman behind, <laughs> behind us who just kept repeating in this like very urgent whisper. Why is everyone so calm? Why is everyone so calm? Like she likes, I don't mean to make fun. Like some people are scared by the earthquakes. Right. Uh, and you know, I, I don't blame them, but, uh, but I, that's probably what started, but now I don't remember how we got to talking about that. Um, it's a good question. Yeah. It was, Although, we were at a party the other night and it came up. You know, it's interesting though. Now that you mention it. Uh, so I was, as you were with, as you were whispering, like, why is everyone so calm? I immediately was like, okay, how can I make a Mary Riley joke out of this? <laughs> but rather than that, I thought that's a good horror movie line or like, especially in a trailer, like someone like, why is everyone so calm? Like you have a trailer, uh, with the most panicky person, uh-huh. but they're not saying I'm so scared. It's why isn't everybody else so scared? Yeah. I like, I want that. That's yeah. what I want. Yeah. It's speaking of memorable lines from trailers. It's the, it's the, uh, the polar opposite of the devil trailer. Do you remember the girl? I do not. Turn on the light. <laughs> you remember that? I don't remember that. Um, just someone, it was, I don't know. I never saw the, I never saw the movie devil. Um, nor did I, everyone said because of more than one lesson ever and said like, Oh, you should see it. And then it came and went and I was like, all right, I don't need to worry <laughs> about that. Um, Speaking of horror movies, and then we'll get to the movies. Okay. But speaking of real life horror movies, there is, you've been um, to my, my block, and so you've probably noticed over the past over two years that they've been building a very large apartment building across the street from me. Yes. It's open now. It's a very large apartment building. Yeah. Like with like 130 units or something. Um, there are two to four people living in there right now. That's a fucking horror movie, right? Oh, oh wow. Yeah. <laughs> 
that's oh my gosh one per floor i would assume right <laughs> something, something like that yeah but it's like um like at first i thought like cause i didn't realize it was open and then i was walking jack our, our dog uh you know in the back of the building faces my street and there's balconies for the upstairs apartments and a dog started bark i was like looking i was hearing a dog barking and i was looking around and i looked up and i was like oh there's a dog up on that balcony and i was like how'd that happen and then it dawned on me like oh this building's finally open and most oh, yeah. of these units are still empty but there's like i've se- i've been able to see there might be more on the front side because i haven't looked on that but i've only seen i've seen like three or four lights come on in the entire building <laughs> like that's great yeah, that's what Natalie was saying. She'd be scared, and I was like, "No, I'd, I'd run up and down the halls. I'd have so much fun." <laughs> <laughs> Which is weird because, like, it's not your building, you know. Right. I would almost feel like, well, surely I can just go into the other apartments, right? And it's like, <laughs> no, no, no. It's not an abandoned building <laughs> that you own. Yeah. Uh, did you ever see that movie Citadel? Uh, yes, I did. I don't remember it very well. Um, I watched it <laughs> recently, and. Uh, it's and like wait, is that the it's like an Irish yeah, horror movie? Yeah, yeah, okay, I did see that. Here's my memory of that: is watching it very late at night alone because that's when I like to watch horror movies. Is mm-hmm. at home alone very late at night because I'm I want to be as scared as possible. Okay, but I remember that that I don't know if it was the mix of the movie or just like the screener that I had, but it was one of those things would be like quiet, 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 loud, 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 loud. Oh yeah, like a pixie song for your length. <laughs> um, but you know, Natalie's asleep in the other room, yeah. so my memory of watching Citadel is just like finger hovering over the volume yeah. button so I could go up or down whenever i needed to i have to from about 20 minutes in it's like this is angering <laughs> uh, this is bothersome yeah. um okay let's uh let's we got a lot of okay, stuff so to let's get talk to. some movies here's one i watched um i know you and i have similar viewing habits in certain ways uh and in, in in other ways not at all but i know from living with you there's something um that it is not very purist of us that we'll both do, which okay. is like watch one movie over a long period of time, just like sure. watching in sections and then go about your life or yeah, whatever. Sometimes you have to. Um, and so, yeah, I ended up watching this movie. I think I'd already started it when we did our last one, um, but uh, finished it much later because I had other shit to do. But I watched uh, Rainier Werner Fassbender's Fox and His Friends. Okay. Um, in which uh, Fassbender stars uh, uh, as a guy named Fox who... Um, wins the lottery he wins um you know 500,000 Deutschmarks or whatever that okay. translates to in like 1980 Germany you know it's a fair amount of money um and his quote unquote friends are this sort of oh this takes place in like the uh the gay subculture of Berlin oh, okay and so his quote unquote friends are this sort of like moneyed upper class gays that sort of welcome him in but mostly to borrow money from him to continue to buy things. And they essentially, you know, I guess this is a spoiler, but not really, because it's not a shock. You see it coming. They, you know, essentially drain him of the money that he, uh, they, they welcome him into their society until he's given them all that he can, you know, bought furniture for their apartments and, uh, taking them on vacations to Morocco and stuff like that. And, uh, then when he's out of money, they sort of kick him out. It's very sad, but it's a fast, it's so, it's so well made. Um, and it's so it's, it's alluring in the sense, in the sense you see what Fox likes about this, this life, you know, you see, um, uh, the, the getting into like antiques and travel and like all this sort of luxurious stuff, but it's really driven by a, a, a shockingly physical performance by Fassbender himself Hmm. as, as Fox. He's just like, he's just like, I, I mean, I'm, you know. I'm 
not gay, but I understand that his he exudes like this sort of testosterone that you understand why people are drawn to him. Hmm. Yeah, you know, um, he's uh, he's just got this. Uh, it's a it's a it's a swagger. It's not macho, but it's like a, a, a charisma, a confidence that. and swagger, and it's sort of like a earthy, just like manliness about him. Hmm. That is, uh, uh, it's a fantastic, fantastic lead performance, uh, but a tragic movie, but really, really well made. All right. Uh, what's up for you? Well, I will see your Fox and his friends and I will raise you a Hannah and her sisters. <laughs> um, isn't that an odd turn of events? So, it sure is. uh, yeah, so we watched this in my, uh, film history class. Uh, last quarter, uh, we watched Annie Hall and I thought it was an odd choice that the professor uh, instead chose to go with uh, a different Woody Allen um, because I do think Annie Hall is a very good entry point for a bunch of 18 and 19 year olds who've never seen his stuff before. And, uh, and Hannah and her sisters based on my students uh, did not go over super well. Um, It was next semester is going to be interiors. Absolutely. Yeah. Just go further and further down. I always Um, think of kids in the hall, by the way, when I hear, uh, interiors why is you never understood interiors oh. um there's a there's a sketch where uh, i think it's um uh I, I, it's mark mckinney is like the kevin mcdonald's friend's friend he's like oh i brought him along he's like what are you going to do today he's like i don't care mm. and like everything they say they suggest he's like snobby and shoots it down and there's like a woody allen film retrospective at the ah. theater and uh they can do an argument over woody allen okay and kevin mcdonald says you never understood interiors uh, it's a funny sketch. I'm I'm sure it is. Uh, so, yeah, but in watching it uh, myself, I haven't seen it in years. Uh, I think I readily would say it was my favorite Woody Allen film, usually between that and uh, Crimes and Misdemeanors. And yeah, I, I go C and M. It's tough in watching this. Uh, I'll say this: the film's longer than I remember, and hmm. in a way that I'm not super thrilled with. Um, and yet, and Crimes and Misdemeanors does have the focus of the, like a very specific type of story with mm-hmm. Martin Landau, um, but it doesn't have delightful Michael Caine. I mean, right. so he won Best Supporting Actor for the film, and rightfully so. Uh, I don't know if I've ever seen him. I mean, of course, I'd seen the film before, but I don't know if I've ever seen him in a performance like this before. Um, you know, even when he was playing, like, even when he was younger uh, and he had more energy, there was a, um, there was still kind of a certain, a certain cockiness to him. And then as he got older, then that's what he was playing. It was this older British gentleman and occasionally like a, you know, this odd cockney type of thing. But as this, as this pseudo intellectual who's kind of nebbishy, but also is undeniably intelligent and is kind of has this schoolboy crush on his sister-in-law. It, it is just such a, and having him deliver Woody Allen dialogue. And so he's kind of stammering and such. It really is uh, an amazing performance and, and it's funny without it being, it doesn't seem like a comedic performance, and yet it is. It, it seems like a surprisingly naturalistic performance, you know, compared to 
the the Woody character himself, who is you know that character is an overtly comedic char- mm-hmm. character, but but uh, but the the Elliot character that Michael Caine plays is so different. It's different for Michael Caine, and I feel like it's different than a lot of other Woody Allen characters I've seen, and. Um, you know, uh, the, a, a big scene, uh, is when he's, he has just kissed his, uh, sister-in-law and she does kind of want that, uh, but doesn't at the same time. And so she, she runs off and he, and he follows her and he says, like, I'm so sorry. I, that was, that was crazy. Me. I don't, I, I didn't, you know, but I can't help it. I just love you. And she says, you know, well, I guess I, you know, I care for you as well. And, and he says, well, just then go ahead and, and, you know, just tell me, tell me if you actually want this. And so he's kind of pestering her into mm-hmm. saying this thing that he wants her to say. Uh, and she kind of wants to say it, but not to the degree that he wants her to. And then finally she says like, yeah, okay, fine. Yes. I, I, I suppose so. I've got to go. And then she leaves and he just stands there looking and he says, I have my answer. And then he goes, Oh, I'm walking on air <laughs> and it's just so delightful. And I, I really, um, I really came to appreciate that film. So, uh, so I, I'm, I'm still up in the air. I think I would have to watch crimes and misdemeanors again, but, uh, I really enjoyed it. And, uh, listeners, if you haven't, ch- if you haven't seen it, I feel like even if you're, you know, if you're 18 or 19 and you've never seen Woody Allen before, then maybe it's not the one to start with. But if you're a Woody Allen fan, obviously you got to check it out. And if you're curious about Woody Allen and you just like good acting, cause it's great acting all around mm-hmm. Diane Weist, uh, Max von Sydow, um, then I would say, uh, uh, check it out. All right. Um, now my next one in order to save us time and just because it's just convenient is actually four movies okay. in one. Uh, I think I mentioned on the podcast, the regular, uh, play, you know, original recipe podcast, mm-hmm. uh, seeing the new pirates five in the screen X format that yeah. was only playing at two, two theaters in, in the United States. And one of them happened or both of them happened to be, uh, in Los Angeles. Um, so I saw pirates five, but I, I knew I was going to see pirates five <clears throat> and I was sick over Labor Day weekend and I'd only ever seen pirates one. I saw it twice mm-hmm. and it was in the theater in 2003, three, three. Um, and not since I didn't revisit pirates one. I know it's great. Uh, what I did instead is I, uh, I, I crammed and watched the other, <laughs> the other three in between. I watched two, three and four. Um, knowing what the reputation was, which is not good. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to tell you motherfuckers out there back off of Gore Verbinski's pirates sequels two and three, because they're fucking delightful. They're so much fun. I could watch them again right now. Uh, like I literally am, uh, am like keeping an eye on Amazon on like, see if there's a sale on like the box set of the Blu-rays, just, just the Gore Verbinski ones. Right. Cause they're ex- absolutely the kind of movies I watch over and over again, because there's not a single moment of the movie movies that aren't fun in some way. And I know that they are incredibly convoluted. Um, although I do think plot wise, I do think they make sense. If I, I'd have to watch it again and then sit down with a, with a pad and pen. But I think I could, uh, account for everything that happens in the two movies there. It's really just one long movie. Um, right. I mean, two and three, certainly. Yeah, that's what I meant. Oh, okay. Um, two and three, I, I, I think I could account for everything. It is really convoluted. I don't care because everything is like, wow, what a cool idea. Yeah, especially like the third one, even though it's almost three hours long. And I know that's a problem. A lot of people have with it, but if all three hour long movies were this much fun for three hours, I wouldn't care because, 
the the third one has the entire section near the beginning that takes place in like limbo you know that is a great section it's so cool it's it's uh, it, it's it's weirder and more uh, inventive um, and th- than anything in in four or five, um, mm-hmm. uh, unfortunately. Um, and I I, I really want to go to bat for these movies ten years after I didn't see them because everyone said they were bad. <laughs> um, what what are your thoughts on the Pirates sequel? Just the Gorbachevsky ones for now, then we'll get right. to the other two. Um, I think they have some very strong moments and some interesting characters. I think the Davy Jones character, I think everything about him is very strong. Uh, the performance, the design, it's just a very it's just a a very exciting character to have on screen. Um, and then there are some there are some uh, extended fights in the second one that I really like in uh, front of the show. Jason Egan will, he will go to bat for that. Uh, the fight on the wheel uh, yeah. to the point that he laughs at himself now for how much he enjoys it. Um, I will say that the second one, something that I really liked at the time is that it, it does reveal and it really makes you, it, it makes you question the, honor of Jack Sparrow. Um, the second one, there are moments where it's just like, well, I recognize he's not going to be the villain, but this is a selfish character. This is a guy yeah. who will, you know, yeah, yeah. He's lovable and, and adorable and ha- seems to have some degree of honor in the first film, but no, he is still a pirate. He's yeah. still devoted his life to a very specific way of living and, and this is absolutely a big part of the reason that four and five don't work as well because they mm. try to make him too much of a hero. Uh, because so that's, I, I mean, I know like another complaint about the movies and I'll, sorry, I'll let you finish, right. but like is that Karen Knightley and Orlando Bloom are kind of bland. Uh, but <laughs> watch four and five and watch the people they find to be or no, yeah. Orlando Bloom and Karen Knightley replacements. And you'll, you long for Orlando Bloom and Karen Knightley to come, yeah. come back because they, they centered the films and in the fourth one, especially when they tried to make Jack the, yeah. the hero, the protagonist, it didn't work. Yeah. I think it's frustrating because I don't think those characters are remarkably exciting. I think one of my problem with the problems with the second one is they brought back so many of the characters from the first film. If they had just brought back those three, and then maybe, you know, at the end of the second one, I believe they bring uh, Barbosa back. Yeah, but then um, who else are you talking about? Norrington? Norrington, and, and then Jonathan like some Price's of the, uh, character. Yeah, and some of the other pirates, like the, like the, the, the two goofy guys. No, one, but I love them. I, 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 I don't, I don't have a problem with any of this. I think my issue is that they, by bringing so much along from the first film, that I feel like it, it can inherently feel overstuffed when they bring in so much new stuff. And I just want to be able to focus on the new stuff. Uh, I don't know. I'm fine with having the adventures of these three. Um, yeah, no, I see what you're saying, but I, I think the thing that I'm, and we're going to do an episode on this, um, the idea of, uh, we're going to have our friend Scott on to talk about like, does, you know, plot plausibility and character plausibility and sense right. always matter. And in, like, you know, I could watch these movies with the sound off and still be pretty <laughs> entertained. They're so sure. fun to look at um, from the beginning, the very beginning of the second one, which has the the wedding that doesn't happen, and, be, and you've get this, you've got this like, um, you know, uh, proper what I like Elizabethan outdoor mm-hmm. wedding in Jamaica, but it's no one's there and it's pouring rain, everything's soaked in rain, and it's beautiful to look at. Yeah, um, and then. 
you've got, and here's something that I, I was so blown away by. Um, no pun intended, even though the character does get blown away. Um, and I guess this is a spoiler for the third pirates movie, which mm-hmm. is 10 years old at this point. Yeah. Um, but the bad guys, Tom Hollander's character, yeah. uh, what's his name? Uh, cut, or something i don't recall um yeah i I watched them three weeks ago you watched them 10 years years ago ago. um do you remember his death yeah i do it's very very well it's like it that's like some paulo sorrentino shit like (laughs) it's so not it's he becomes like the his physical form becomes abstracted from reality and he's just floating among in slow motion among like flames and splintering wood and it's beautiful and i don't see there are so few like, you know, big studio movies that would try something that is that, like, I guess well, and that third one gets so odd and experimental that you can tell that like, all right, this is the guy, this is a guy who's directed two very successful movies before yeah, this. And, and the studio is going to be like, do whatever you want. And he said, Oh, I will. Uh, the, the first I, I 20, the first, what is it? 10 to 20 minutes of the third film stands out to me as like some of the best stuff in the series. Which part is that? The, the limbo stuff. Oh yeah. I, I think, I mean, it's more than that. I mean, well, if you're just talking about the part with Jack, but uh, then they join him and then there's the whole part where they're trying to sail out of uh, a limbo. Yeah. You and know, the part where they and, have uh, to like turn the, to turn the, the ship boat. upside and, down. And there's the creepy part where like you find out Jonathan Price's character died yeah. because he's, his body, his soul is being ferried. Yeah. And it's a really sad scene between him and his daughter, like shouting, uh, and it's very haunting. There's so much, so much cool stuff. Um, and, uh, uh, another, and then we'll talk about the fourth and fifth ones briefly, but another thing that, um, not to the same extent, I will admit the one complaint that people have about the, the second two that I will stand by is that they're not as funny as the first one. Yeah. Um, but there is some of like, uh, this is early in the second one, but when they first go to see Tia Dalma, um, the, uh, um, what's her name's character? Naomi Harris's character, okay, yeah. um, who we later find out is uh, a goddess or whatever. Remember? Yeah. Um, but uh, they're trying to trade something, and Jack holds up the cage with the monkey in it mm-hmm. and shoots the monkey point blank, and he goes, "Look, undead monkey. That's got to be worth something." That's that's, <laughs> that's the funny. kind of macabre humor that I wanted out of them. There, there's still a, a fair amount of that. I I do. If I had any complaint, I would say I wish the movies were funnier because the first one is pretty funny. From a from a spectacle standpoint, like one thing that I remember from the third film, and and uh, that and it was it featured in the trailer, but I remember <clears throat> at the time being like, yeah, this is what I like, <laughs> and it's it's essentially like I think Bar is it Barbosa that is fighting Davy Jones, or is he is he steering the ship, and Jack is fighting Davy Jones as they're all just. Uh, as the ship is going around in this whirlpool in the uh-huh. middle of the ocean, that's like a mile wide and Barbosa is just laughing like a psychopath. Yeah. I remember being like, all right, I like this. This is uh it's, it's that level of excess, uh, that I can seem indulgent and at times it does. And, yeah. and I think the film is still kind of bloated, but, uh, it's hard not to like it. Yeah, you know? I'll, I'll definitely watch them again. Uh, to talk quickly about On Stranger Tides, uh, it's boring. Um, it's wrong to make Jack the lead. Um, Barbosa is the best thing in it, even though I think they kind of um, water down his character too by making yeah. him work with Jack a little too willingly. Right. Um, uh, which continued into the fifth one. Did you see the fifth one yet? I forget. No. Okay, don't bother. Um, I will say. Uh, on Stranger Tides is probably my favorite Rob Marshall movie, but that's because I'm not a fan of Rob yeah. Marshall in general. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a shame. Um, and it's interesting that Ian McShane 
who I think he's a, I think he's a marvelous actor, obviously, but, um, but I wonder if his acting, I don't know if his acting style is right for these types of movies, even though he brings a real, uh, weight to the film that I feel like I haven't really seen before. Like he feels like this, uh, immovable object. Uh, and, you well, know what I mean? Yeah. And I, I will say, I, th- I, do, I do think he's right for the film because like I said, you know, the make Jack the hero, they watered down Barbosa. You need a villain. And for what it's worth, he's a villain in that movie. And that's oh, yeah. kind of the, the, it's one of the few saving graces about the fifth one too, is that Javier Bardem is like not a lovable Disney villain. Like he's yeah. a bad guy. Yeah. Uh, although Javier Bardem has a little bit more, sympathy in his backstory in that uh, i don't know if you know the story that you've i read, but um young jack sparrow basically like cursed him and his crew uh and so he uh, has a, an axe grand so of course Pirates of the caribbean does the thing that all big studio movies do now like kurt russell in guardians 2 or whatever <laughs> they de-age johnny depp so you get to uh, see like a 26 year old johnny depp in a, in does a it look flashback good? it looks good but at this point the, the 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 bloom is off the rose right you know um Anyway, uh, yeah, Kurt Russell and Guardians, like I wasn't expecting it to look that good. Uh, you know, when I thought of de-aging, I thought of like the third X-Men movie and it's terrible. Um, but it was so good in Ant-Man uh, with Michael Douglas. Uh, I, you know what? I in, guess you're right. In the, um, in the prologue. Um, yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, the, the, the fifth one's just, uh, just, a just a mess. Um, I mean, it has a few, uh, it sort of inspired, uh, ideas. You know, I think I, um, I think I talked about in the podcast the uh, the uncharted island they find that has that's covered in gemstones that ref- that glow in the exact pattern of the stars of the sky. Hmm. So they're walking. It looks like they're walking across the stars. Oh, that's neat. Um, it's cool. Yeah, but it's also kind of Gore Verbinski kind of did that in the third one with the you know when they're leaving limbo and the waters are completely still and it looks like the sky and then yeah. the boat cuts across it, which is really cool. Um, which uh, you know. Uh, look, greatness borrows genius steals, but uh, Ang Lee totally stole that uh, sure. in, in um, Life of Pi. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, that's all I have to say about the Pirates movies. I'm sure other stuff will come to me, but um, yeah, yeah, people people need to take another look at the second and third I think you've movies. convinced me. I think I will set aside, you know, nine straight hours to watch uh, the second and third film <laughs> and uh, avoid the fourth and fifth, although I'm curious about the fifth. I will say that just like you know, when I was a kid, I loved all all things pirates. Yeah, uh, not pirates of the Caribbean, just pirate stuff. Yeah, and uh, and it's even with the fifth one, which I had heard was not that good. I was still intrigued because, like, hey, this the the kid inside me was like, hey, pirate stuff again. Oh boy. Yeah, and I wonder if there's some something about me that responds well to that sort of um, sort of like like it's mythical, but they're also anti-heroes, which is not mm-hmm. something usually when you get myths, you get like heroes and villains. You right. know what I mean? Um, but pirates are, you know, so there's a darkness there's a, or maybe a darkness is lead putting my thumb on it a little too much, but it's macabre, yeah. which I there tend to respond to. It has monsters. It has myths. It has big ideas, but also the characters, at least when it's done right, aren't, you know, exactly noble all the time. Yeah. Uh, and I think, I think I really respond to that world. And I wonder, um, <clears throat> Uh, you know what? Here's a uh, a, a little uh, uh, quip I thought of while I was watching the fourth movie. Well, I was watching the second and third movie. I was like, "This is such a crazy, expansive world." I wonder why you don't hear about more pirates fan fiction. And mm. then I saw the fourth movie, and I was like, "Oh, that's what this is." Ah, yes. <laughs> um, 
So, okay. We ready to move on? Yeah. All right. So I watched Alien Covenant. This was, man, it has been a while since we yeah. did one of these. Um, I watched Alien Covenant and uh, Boo, Hiss. Uh, <laughs> no, thank you. Yeah, I think the you told me how you felt. I didn't, I didn't see it, but I know, I mean, people, people seem to like it more than Prometheus, but I wonder, is that just because it's better than Prometheus? And you know what? And I'd say I like it about the same but what I will say is that Prometheus is something uh, Alien Covenant gave me an appreciation for Prometheus because mm. at least was at least it was ambitious. Um, this film is most is notably not. Um, although I will say the first the first twenty minutes, really until they get to this planet and the alien stuff starts happening, it's actually visually quite striking, uh, and I like it quite a bit. Um, and then. The, the people are correct when they say that the, everything having to do with Michael Fassbender is interesting. Um, but especially cause he plays these two characters and these two robots and they are strikingly different. And you would think that the David character from, uh, Prometheus is, would be the more interesting one. And he is interesting, but I actually found Walter, really intriguing just as this guy who's as this character who's trying to figure out what it means to be what he is um and he plays him like not like a little boy he plays him like a 13 year old Hmm. do you know what i mean when i say that like yeah shitty (laughs) (laughs) exactly yeah um but just kind of in this in this perpetual state of transition and figuring out like, okay, what does it mean to be me? Um, and I like that a lot. It's really just all the other stuff that just bothers me so much. I feel like there are, there are choices that are made here that are, you know, screenwriting choices, but also directorial choices that I think are borderline petty. Um, because uh, do you care if I spoil it? I don't, but the listeners, might. okay, listener, uh, I'm going to spoil some okay. of, uh, alien covenant. My guess is if you cared, you probably would have seen it already. Cause it's been a month. Uh, but still just a, a heads up. Yeah. Skip ahead a few minutes. So David, essentially the, the character, David, uh, essentially has been in the 10 years since Prometheus has been just having, just do, performing all these bio experiments on a planet. Um, and has just been working towards the eggs, you know, mm-hmm. the, with the face huggers. And so he finally creates them and, uh, and then lures, uh, Billy Crudup's character in and get, he gets a face hugger on him and then an alien jumps out and all that. Okay. So here, first off, uh, I'm very much looking forward to the episode that we do about whether or not story or character motivation makes sense because I don't think it needs to make sense. And I certainly don't think character actions need to be consistent all the time. But I will say that Billy Crudup's character, the moment before uh, he gets lured into this uh, this lair, he kills another alien that uh, David specifically is like caressing and then Billy Crudup just kills it because he's like, I don't, I don't like that thing. Hmm. And, and he's, and he seems to like be very suspicious of David for caressing the thing that just killed crew members. And so then David's like, he goes, huh, that's very interesting. Hey, follow me. And then Billy Crudup <laughs> just does. And then he says, and there's like, Hey, here's a big room full of uh, leathery, creepy eggs and uh, be sure to get. And then one of them opens and then David says, Oh, it's quite safe. 
And he just sticks his face in there. <laughs> you know? And so, like, stuff like that does yeah. bother me. Especially because, like, you know, we do contradictory things all the time as humans. But chances are, when you are in the position of, like, I'm killing things now. And uh, the things uh-huh. I'm killing uh, are have been created by this guy over here. Uh, I don't trust him, but I'll trust him enough to get, uh, so that's one thing. So you blame the screenwriter more than Billy Crudup for not selling it? I think Billy Crudup's performance is actually quite good. I think he does what he can, but there's only so much you can do when you're, when you're forced to make a a 180 like that. But what I will say is that no queen there. Hmm. David is creating these eggs. And there's no, not even a whisper of a queen and it makes, and that's where the pettiness comes in. I think that I think there's an element to Ridley Scott that he's like, this was mine. And then James Cameron came along and added to the, the mythos and, and the life cycle. And then it just went spiraling off in these other directions. But now I'm back. I made Prometheus. Now I'm making this movie and I'm going to do what I want to do. And it's one of the many reasons why I didn't like the idea of Ridley Scott coming back much less for two movies. Yeah. Um, so that's something, but I also think that Ridley Scott makes quite possibly the worst directorial decision (laughs) of his career. Okay. It is towards the end of the film, more spoilers It's towards the end of the film. You know, we're in that section where everyone thinks that everyone knows they're fine. Oh shit. Uh There's one on board. Okay. It's that, Um, like a dozen people are dead by the alien's hand. Okay. And now this ship, the crew has been just decimated, but now the ship is safely away from the planet. And there is, and you know that it's a, it's a, it's a crew full of like husbands and wives and husbands and husbands. Okay. Uh, I don't think there's any wives and wives, but, um, (laughs) I don't know if that's how it works, but anyway, uh, so there's a husband and wife and they are sort of the navigators and they actually stayed on board the ship and they're the only ones, they're the only couple that is around mm-hmm. like everybody else has lost someone or the, or both parts of the couple are gone. So these two are together and then it fucking cuts. to. So if you've seen the trailer, you know, the shower scene that I'm talking no. about. Okay. Well, <laughs> listeners probably do. So they are, so it cuts to them in the shower uh, they're in like a communal shower together and just like making out and they, they're playing like some, some like R and B and then the, the alien sneaks up and kills them both, you know, uh-huh. like a Jason Voorhees, <laughs> but the That's thing exactly, that, I mean, yeah, yeah, I thought of, yeah, like everything that, about yeah. it is that, but the thing is this, there dozens of their friends are dead. Now here's the thing, like how insensitive are these people? Yeah. Here's what I'll say. Is it like, if it came to, oh my gosh, I can't believe you're still here. And then like, and then maybe, you know, maybe sex comes out of this passion, this idea of, oh my gosh, we're still here. But they put R&B on the radio. It's as though the la- the movie hadn't happened. Mm-hmm. It is so tone deaf. It is so ill-timed. It is so for the trailer that uh, it made me furious when I saw it. Uh, it is, I think the film is like a complete misfire. I don't, sorry, not a complete misfire. There are good things in there, but I feel like all the stuff that makes it an alien movie is super perfunctory. And, uh, and I think it's, uh, I definitely think that this film 
yes, it incorporates the xenomorph, which I don't like calling it that. I don't know why, but uh, it bothers me. That's what it's me. called. I know, but I don't know. Uh, is that what that specific thing is called? Because I believe it's a term that the Marines use in aliens for anything. Oh, maybe. But not for that specific thing. But that's what we call it, that's so what whatever, it, it's yeah. fine. Um, but, uh, you know, a big deal is made of, oh, the xenomorph is in this one, finally, after long last. And then it completely demystifies it in a way and, and gives it no weight and just makes it, you know, who gives a shit? It's just any other boogeyman. Mm-hmm. And that bothers me a lot. So, sorry, I spent too so, long on that. That's but, okay. I won't spend long at all on this one because I'm not okay. even going to say the name of it. Speaking of things that bother me a lot, I saw a new animated movie with a very stupid title that I refuse to say out loud. Oh, okay. Uh, you know what I'm talking about? I think so. It's but odd it's that new, you're, it's a new animated movie. Yeah. Yeah. It has a very stupid title. I won't say it out loud. Um, some people seem to like it. I don't, I think this is a movie that I was never, ever going to like because I think it's, it's a problem. I don't even know if it's a problem. I don't feel it's a problem. It doesn't bother me that, that this bothers me. But if you were to show me like, a movie that had the most vile, raunchy comedy in the world. Okay. It's not really my thing. Sure. Right. But then if you were put next to it, a sort of sanitized PG rated uh, version of a movie full of toilet humor and stuff okay. like that, that grosses me out more. Interesting. I hate that so much. It's like a personal, uh, it's even more than a pet peeve. It's like, it's, it's my bet noir almost. I, I hate it so much. I, it's, it's why, you know, we, we talked about, there's certain w- other words that I don't use, no. um, that are like the words that parents say to their toddlers when they're referring to, you know, bathroom topics or stuff like that. Um, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Bathroom topics. No, I got it. <laughs> Whatever. Um, I find that so repellent for some reason that attempt to make it, you know, cute, I guess when it's not, why did you see this movie? Uh, I went, I was doing my duty as a critic. I got an invite. I was free. <sighs> Look, this is Look, what you can turn it down. If you want, I'd never, the way it, well, I don't choose to see when it comes to, <laughs> they press, choose you when it comes to press screenings. I don't say yes or no based on whether or not I want to see a movie. Okay. I have certain nights every week sure. that are open if I get a press screening for that night, I'm going to see that thing. Even if I later get a press screening invite for something that I wanted to see more, it's too bad. I already committed to see this dumb thing. It's a, yeah. it's, I don't know. Um, you could call it obsessive compulsive. I think of it as monastic, but, um, uh, I am dedicated to that sort of thing. So I took it because it was my duty as a film critic to see this movie, uh, when I was available. Um, but yeah, uh, in retrospect, maybe you're right. Maybe another critic from the site would have been able to treat it more fairly. I mean, I wasn't going to take it. You know? <laughs> but I, I, um, I mean, it's getting decent reviews. Yeah. Uh, but I, I was never going to like it because I find uh, that's that's just when you can't even so say the name. Yeah. I feel like that's bad news. <laughs> yeah. All right. What's next for you? Okay. So, uh, oh boy, that's uh... next up for me. Uh, there are going to be a few rewatches on here. Oh, that's right. Oh. I have a rewatch I didn't consider. Oh, okay. I rewatched, I won't even talk about it at length. I rewatched Dirty Rotten Scoundrels after Glenn Headley. Died. Oh, sure. Um, and it's uh, fucking great. I love it. Have you yeah. seen it? Oh, yeah. I, I, I love it. I've heard, like the very beginning with Lady Fanny from Omaha mm-hmm. when uh, the butler 
first the butler, then Michael Caine keeps taking her aside and like pushing her into the bushes to have yes. covert conversations. So from the very opening scene, it's hilarious. Um, and then when uh, I won't spoil who haven't seen Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, I guess it's old enough that our younger viewer listeners might not have seen it. But when it gets to Glenn Headley's sort of turn at the very, you know, the very end, yeah. which has always been one of my favorite parts of the movie, um, I teared up <laughs> because oh. it was such a it's such a big like bold moment for her and it's yeah. it's honestly that scene that scene the very end of dirty Scott rotten scoundrels is the first thing i've always thought of when i think of glenn headley because mm. i watched that movie so much as a kid um and so i got very emotional at the end of dirty rotten scoundrels yeah huh. i do you think you will from now on uh no i think that was because it was okay. new you okay. know it was raw her, yeah. her 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 passing um, but yeah, I just wanted to mention real quick that I watched her on scoundrels. Now we can move on back to your. Th- okay. Your, your, your so, uh, you know what in the, sp- uh, so I tend not to go th- through these in the order of that. I watch them. Um, because you know, when somebody hands you Fox and his friends and you've got a hand in her sisters, then that's what you talk about. <laughs> so in that same way, so dirty rotten Sto- scoundrels is a movie that I watched a lot growing up along with this film that I haven't seen since I was a kid. Dragnet. Oh, I've never seen the movie. Okay. It is first off. So I watched the movie growing up and then I actually saw episodes of the series. Oh, interesting. And when, I, you, when you say the series, you're talking about the one with Ethan Embry and Ed, uh, uh, Ed O'Neill. Ed O'Neill. Yes. That's it. First off, that was a pretty good series. <laughs> well, I never uh, watched it. It's, uh, he makes a very, he makes some very interesting choices as Joe Friday. I like that a lot, but, uh, he's an interesting actor. Um, no, I'm talking about the one with uh, Jack Webb, obviously, and Harry Morgan. Um, I'll go. Although I guess that's the 1960s. That, that's the, one. That's the yeah, second yeah. version. Yeah. So, uh, what I will say is that first off, I did not have an appreciation for what Dan Aykroyd was doing because okay. I did not know Jack Webb at the time. Right. I know who he is now, and Dan Aykroyd is a, maybe a genius uh, with what he is doing with that character. Um, and, uh, but it's also, the story is just kind of whatever, who cares? It's, it's kind of a generic, it's that generic eighties action comedy story where like, Oh, they've, they've landed on something and this respectable guy isn't so respectable. It's that sort of thing played here by Christopher Plummer, oddly enough. Huh. Um, but there, uh, one thing that really jumps out at me though, is that it's weird. Have you experienced this? Like it's weird to go back and watch a movie in which, you know, Tom Hanks is in it and he's second build. Like he's name above the title. You know, he's it's Dan Aykroyd and Tom Hanks in dragnet, but he's not Tom Hanks yet. He's not the Tom Hanks. Like I think for our purposes, for modern purposes, Tom Hanks started with big. Now oh, okay. he was in plenty of stuff before that, but it's weird to watch it. It's weird to watch his career just take a standard trajectory. And then suddenly he becomes Tom Hanks. Yeah. And I feel like in dragnet, he is that, um, you know, his character is kind you ever of miss like the, of course, of course manic, I do. like Joe versus volcano, the burbs. Yeah, Tom Hanks. Absolutely. Yeah. Like the, the, yeah, just losing his mind. And, yeah. But in this, he's like, the money like pit. I never saw the money pit, but um, you know, the scene of him just, just losing laugh, his mind. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Of course. Uh, <laughs> just like, yeah, there's things you, like I've never seen Dragnet, but I know there's a joke about, uh, him having sex with a woman because he refers to her. The Virgin Connie Swale. Uh, uh that's, that's Dan Aykroyd. Not, Dan Aykroyd. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. And then he calls him, 
calls her Connie Swale. And, uh, yeah, yeah. I know that joke, even though I've never seen the movie. It's a well, it's a well, uh, executed joke. I'll say that. But, but like Tom Hanks's character is, he's like a womanizer uh-huh. and he's just kind of like the, the laid back, goofy, slovenly. Uh-huh. And that is so not what I think of Tom Hanks as now, uh, right. that it's, it's, it's such a relic of its time for so many reasons, not the least of which is, boy, oh boy, they do an unfortunate thing with the title music, uh, where they, they take like the primary dragnet theme and then give it like an eighties rap. Oh, there's like record scratch sounds and oh, stuff. Boy. I, can, I can already imagine. And then you have the character, then you have the two characters themselves rapping at the end over the end credits. Boo hiss. <sighs> no, thank you. That reminds me of like, everyone talks about cocoon being a great movie, right? Okay. But do you, have you seen Cocoon? Not for many, many years. So have you forgotten, perhaps, that Don Amici breakdances in Cocoon? I do remember that. <laughs> it's, it doesn't hold up. Really? Because I look at that and I say, give that man an Oscar for Best Supporting Actor, which he did receive. <laughs> right, right. Um, uh, yeah, I, w- I, like, I, w- I mean, I haven't watched the movie in years, but I wish I could just like go in and... I know, it's, I'm, no, I'm no Topher Grace over here with the fan edits, <laughs> yeah. but I wish I could just cut out just Don Amici breakdancing because it, it really doesn't fit. Yeah. So it's, uh, so I, there are things I liked about Dragnet in other, in other instances, it's, you know, who cares, but, uh, but as having been more familiar with the series, I do have an appreciation for it. I did not before. Okay. Um, this one won't take me very long either. I went to, um, this is my first time ever attending, uh, the dances with films film festival, which is a, it's 20 years old here mm-hmm. in Los Angeles. And it is, um, uh, you know, I always talk about how the LA film fest I like because it's a lot of first time directors, a lot of movies you don't know about like LA film fest looks like can compared, compared to dances with films. Like okay. it's, these are not things you have ever heard of. And most of them you probably won't ever hear of again. Yeah. Uh, I only went to see one movie. Um, it's a Canadian movie and it's terrible. Excuse me. It's called the meaning of life. It's literally called that. Um, and it's not, this isn't a Monty Python type of situation where it's like ironic or absurd. Like yeah. this is a, uh, a movie called the meaning of life. Oh, and it's sincere. Uh, yeah, it, it's about, um, okay. Uh, it is about a, an aspiring singer songwriter, right? All right. He's, I'm a, out. He's, he's like college age, but he's not in college. It's a big point of contention with his parents. Oh. Whom he lives with, <laughs> right? With each new sentence yeah. fragment. Oh, wait till you hear the line. <laughs> The only thing I would regret is giving up. Ugh. That's a line that he said. It's like a character defining line, but he, so he's struggling. Not really. He's living in a beautiful house in the suburbs with his parents, but he doesn't yeah. have any money of his own. He's not making it. So he takes a job as a singing clown in the terminally ill ward of a children's hospital. Oh, good God. <laughs> oh my gosh. So it like this movie like outdoes patch Adams yeah. in terms of mawkishness. And so of course he becomes very good friends with like an eight or nine year old girl who's dying of leukemia. He inspires She's her. She's bald, I assume, or, right? What's it? She's bald, I assume. Uh, no, well, uh, not at first. Okay. Um, but um, uh, she inspires him to write songs. He inspires her to paint. They become the best of friends. Um, and, uh, it, you know, it goes where it's going to go. I'm not, I mean, I'd, be, I'd lie if I said I didn't like shed a tear at the end. Yeah. It's a very, you know, it's sad, but it's so mani- manipulative. Um that uh it's yeah it's everything i just 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 described you can imagine the entire movie from there There's absolutely no, it doesn't throw you any any curveballs at all it's not a good movie that line of uh what is it the only, the only thing i would regret is giving up yeah 
I, if I ever heard someone say that, I'd be like, oh, you, so you haven't really lived any kind of life. <laughs> you regret so much. Are you kidding me? It's, uh, man, I hate stuff like that. That really, with that oh. sounds like a parody. Yeah. Like ev- it incorporates so much. Yeah. I didn't even tell you. Oh, okay. So he spends all his time going around, all his free time in the evenings going around trying to find a place in his town to gig right mm-hmm. to play in front in front of people no one everyone's booked up no one's yeah so one time he and his friend are at one of these bars having a drink and the bartender's like hey our our act canceled do you want to you want to go up so he grow he goes up he grabs a guitar he doesn't have a guitar with him grabs the guitar <laughs> on the stage the act didn't show up somewhere there's just like a house guitar yeah. there on the stage he picks it up he plays exactly one song and then gets off stage, which drives me crazy. They did it in the movie Shame when, uh, uh, oh, what's yeah, her yeah. name? Uh, Who's the, is it Carrie Mulligan? Uh, yeah, Car- Carrie yeah. Mulligan. She Mulligan sings is, New York, New York for about 18 minutes. <laughs> right, but it's the only song on her set list. Yeah. So he sings one song, goes back to join his friend at the table, and then walks up to him and says, excuse me, my uncle's a record producer. <laughs> one song. <laughs> Wow. All right. <laughs> we have to we have to move on. Uh what did you watch? Jurassic Park, David. I rewatched Jurassic Park. Um and uh It's a shame about Spielberg. Not making any movies with female leads. No, nope, not a one. <laughs> There's there is something to that uh argument, I think. Okay. Um that said Laura Dern is so great in Jurassic Park, but I, I just, I would, it's so funny to feel, to, to see where like the balance of my like Twitter feed. Oh is. yeah. Yeah. Like for people who don't know, Elizabeth Banks claimed that Steven Spielberg had never made a movie with the female lead, which isn't true. He made the color purple and mm-hmm. arguably, uh, Sugarland express and inarguably the BFG last fucking year. Mm. And he's also got like two in development. Um, uh, and I don't care. I, I'm not picking a side in this fight, but no. was, it was funny to me to see like my Twitter 98% of the time is the kind of like left leaning social justice warrior type of thing that would absolutely be yeah. on her side. But nope, film Twitter first. Everyone came to Steven Spielberg's defense. Yeah. <laughs> it was very, very funny for me to watch. Well, it definitely uh, leads to um, a discussion that it might be worth having on the on the show proper um which is and i'm not trying to be like an asshole when i say this like can't somebody just make the movies they want to make like maybe somebody is just it's like oh i am a male and i am a husband and i I, like on the for spielberg like i'm a male i'm a husband i'm a father he clearly is fascinated with fatherhood uh stories and so like if that's what he wants to do, then okay, that's fine. That's what he'll do. The The issue then becomes there aren't that many female filmmakers. That's, that, and that's exactly the point that right. I think we should be making that, yeah. that, yeah. Once, you know, if we get to a point where the cultural voices are, have the same representation as their, you know, respective identities do in the public, right. this stops being an issue really. I right. Mean, or, you know, probably it's probably not like, right away you know it's not like you kill Ares, the god of war and world war one and you know immediately ends right um but it's you know it, some it, people are gonna hug yeah um, um <laughs> but it uh uh yeah that's that's what we should be fighting for not yeah. i don't think we should be telling steven spielberg yeah what what movies to make we should be telling studios that they can 
hire other people besides Steven Spielberg, you know, you know, half the time. Yeah. Especially these days. Cause uh, I'm not a huge defender of his stuff, <laughs> of his most recent stuff. Um, okay. So you watched so, okay. Jurassic park. Yeah. Good movie. And, uh, and in watching it, um, I will say that David, you may recall that, uh, we, we played a game on here called this or that. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, fun. I've added more, uh, more questions since then. Right. But one of them was, I, are you rubbing your hands together like we're going to play it? Yeah, I'm in anticipation. Bring it I, w- I was only referencing it because well, one of the... Qu- <laughs> now it's Chekhov's okay. gun. All right. <laughs> well, I'll do that in a moment. But first I was going to say <laughs> that um, that a big one is, jo- is Jaws or Jurassic Park. And a surprising number of people say Jurassic Park. Um, I, abs- I think it probably has to do with, with age, and I absolutely understand. Um I guess I, I, un- I guess I understand. And yet I don't understand at all. There are amazing things in Jurassic park, but those characters, the actors do what they can, but those characters are so arch- archetypal, mm-hmm. archetypal. I don't archetypal, know what you say. I think would be the word. Um, and that's, and there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. But to me, like the interaction between like Brody and Hooper and Quint, not to mention the mayor and then Brody's wife, like, it's a smaller cast, but that allows you to explore these characters and the character dynamics so much more to me. Like maybe the most interesting relationship in Jurassic park is between John Hammond and Ian Malcolm, um, represented, uh, visually between like black and white, literally. Mm -hmm. Um, and like, there's a lot more spectacle to Jurassic park, but I just, I find myself, it's harder for me because one thing I was thinking about, uh, cause this is a, an episode that we're going to be doing sometime soon. The idea of logical fallacies, uh, not fallacies, but logical problems or flaws in a movie's story. And does that take us out of the movie? And it's, it's interesting. There's so much stuff. There are a fair number in jaws, hmm. but it took, it, it took people a long time to even realize them. Uh, there's a, there's a, a clip of super ego, like behind the scenes in which Paul F. Tompkins is talking about, like somebody mentioned in, in like, Hey, the coast guard knows that there's a giant shark around. Why do they leave after the 4th of July? You know, mm. uh, if anything, they should insist on sticking around as opposed to, well, let's let the chief of police handle it with this old salty guy. Um, but like that doesn't occur to a lot of us where, and you know what? Maybe, maybe I'm, I'm the outlier here, but there are so many issues in Jurassic park that I can't help, but notice because there, for me, there's not much else for me to notice as strange as that might sound. Um, I think it comes down to, it's, I, I, I think the reason some people are age and younger, um, and I, uh, I might gravitate more towards Jurassic park is simply that when something without, unless you're, you know, a person who watches a lot of movies, when something feels old, yeah, it feels quaint. And so sure. without the context that you and I have of like knowing, you know, see, of being able to, to a certain, to a certain extent, at least think about jaws in the context of the mid seventies yeah. or whatever. Um, uh, I think it just seems, I, I think to people who are more casual, uh, film goers or art consumers in yeah. general, it just feels quaint. I have a story along those lines. Uh, so my last, uh, the last section that I taught, uh, this quarter, um, I kind of rushed through the eighties, nineties, 20 aughts and 20 teens. Uh, and what I did is I just picked 
10 great movies from each decade and said like, you know, Hey, here's, if you want to continue your mm-hmm. film education, uh, watch these 40 movies, uh, and then kind of go from there. If you just need some kind of guideline. And so in the nineties, but I also tried to remove films that, that they likely would have seen. So in the nineties, I talk about, you know, Goodfellas and Fargo and, you know, a handful of others. And uh, a girl raised her hand and literally said, why didn't you include Jurassic Park? Isn't that odd? I don't think it is. Well, no, no. I just mean that like, and then somebody else said, yeah, I was going to ask why you didn't include the Matrix. And then I said, how many people have seen Jurassic Park? And everybody raised their hands. And I said, that's why. Okay. Because you've seen it already. But it just, it like, what got me was that it was so in their minds that to omit it, like they, they even noticed that it was not included in this list. Uh, same with Lord of the Rings. I didn't include that in the two thousands because I assumed everybody had seen it. Um, yeah. look, you're right to not include Jurassic Park, or Lord of the Rings, the matrix, I guess everyone's seen, but the matrix is pretty great. It was on the list for a long time. And then I ultimately removed it because I knew people had seen it. Right. Um, and so I don't mean to speak ill of Jurassic Park. It is a very effective but, movie. Yeah. I also am not, I'm not at all surprised about that. I, I, I think and I, I guess I shouldn't be. Yeah. I, I think I have understood the impression. I mean, I, it Jurassic Park was a huge, huge deal oh, sure. when it came out. And so, uh, I mean, you're the same age as I am. I mean, you're a year older, yeah. um, but you're in the same, we graduated high school at the same time. Yeah. Cause I was uh, a year ahead because I was super uh, smart. Yep. Um, and, uh, and you're the one about to get his master's. But you know, you World clearly time. don't even need one. That's it. <laughs> That's it. Um, uh, yeah, I asked for a, a teaching job and like, you have a degree and I'm like, come on. <laughs> um, uh, anyway, uh, I forget what I'm saying, but, uh, it, yeah, it, uh, I, I understand. I understand that. Um, I wonder how do they feel about Forrest Gump? I don't know. I didn't ask and it was not included in my, uh, sure. yeah. in my top it, 10, nor, but nor should it be? But yeah, it's, it's something I'm, uh, that is interesting T- teaching kids that are almost whatever it is. They're, they're half my age uh-huh. roughly. Um, I feel like, uh, has been very illuminating to me because like in the eighties, uh, I incorporated because I wasn't sure I inc- incorporated who framed Roger rabbit and they'd all seen it. Oh, that okay. surprised me. Yeah. I didn't know that that was one that, uh, that kids, the kids these days, uh, yeah, that would, that, that saw. one do, did, does surprise me. So um, anyway, anyway, uh, and do you have any thoughts about Jurassic Park other than that? Just, uh, <laughs> well, what I'll say is that like some of the logical flaws oh, right. that, that okay. I, that I saw this time around. And again, they might not even be logical flaws. It's character stuff. But Jen actually pointed it out because I was watching it with her. And she said, it seems odd that Timmy, who's read all this stuff about dinosaurs, that he wouldn't know to stay still with the T-Rex around. And then it's also strange that Muldoon. Well, but he's terrified. True. That's fu- That's true enough. I could see that. That's what I'll put that down to. Yeah. But it's also strange that Muldoon, who by his own admission has hunted things that can hunt you and has been stu- and is basically obsessed with raptors uh-huh. that he would not know that there's a raptor coming from the side. If Grant who knows this based on fossils, which is a weird thing to know by the okay, way, but I think it's the same, it's the same deal that you're, 
you're trying to get the people to approach the situation logically when they're fucking all terrified because there's fucking velociraptors trying to kill them. But you know like, what? I, 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 and even if Muldoon does know, right? he's just one guy with one gun. What's he going to do about it? Turn to the left and the other one's on his side. Sure. Absolutely. But it <laughs> seems right? like I can't remember which one it is on his, comes. it's on his left. Okay. Um, but what I would say is that like, if he knows how they hunt, then he's not going to try and do what he's doing in the first place. And he does seem pretty cool headed in the moment. Uh, he doesn't seem super panicky. And that's the thing who, in the end, who cares? Like, yeah, but it's, I, it's I, I'm those, starting to agree with your students, but it's great. But if we're, if we're dealing with archetypes, then this hunter, uh, who all he knows is hunting and all he knows is raptors for him to get suckered in doesn't make sense to me. Whereas I would say Quint, who is, I'd say a, a worthy of comparison with Muldoon, the nature of these characters, they're both hunters essentially. Um, you know, Quint does everything he is able to do. And then when he makes weird decisions like bashing the radio, that is a function of his own ego, which has been well established at that point and his just odd eccentricity. Um, so I'm okay with characters doing stuff that seems inconsistent, but it's, but I, but if, if a character is really well developed, I'll buy the inconsistency a lot more than a two dimensional character. Uh, as strange as that might sound. Um, anyway, All right. well, you've, you've, you've won me over. Have I? No, I've, you've pushed me away. Oh, okay, now I'm team it. Jurassic Park. Uh, I want to play more of this or that though. We, we will. Have a chance. We, okay. we will. I will also say again, it's still a very, uh, effective film and that kitchen sequence is like uh-huh. one of the most tense things in any movie ever yeah you know what i mean yeah um but okay so here are the new this or that so i believe okay did i already say cronenberger lynch Uh, i don't know if you did but um i gotta go with david lynch that's it i mean it's a tough one it's a tough one but i mean certainly right now when i'm you know in the middle of twin peaks um, i got david lynch on the brain but uh yeah david lynch was yeah definitely Aliens or Terminator 2? Aliens. Terminator 2 is overrated. I think I also prefer Aliens, but I think Terminator 2 is great. Um, When was the last time you watched it? Uh, A few years, but somewhat recently. Okay. I I don't know. It it seems... I guess compared to big dumb action movies in 2017... Yeah. Terminator two is quite artful. Yeah. There but, you go. Uh, it, it, a lot of times it's just like, like we're going to drive a truck over a bridge. I, I don't know. It just seems so corny. Like let's blow seem, up all the cop cars. It does seem very much of the time. <laughs> yeah, certainly. Um, uh, I think this one was before Edward G. Robinson or Peter Laurie. Um, man, that's a tough one. And we'll be talking about Edward G. Robinson, uh, very soon on this very podcast, very episode. Um, that is a tough one for me. I don't know what to, I, I got to go with Peter Lorre. Okay. I like weirdos. That's, He's more of a weirdo. It's a tough one. Cause yeah. like Edward G. Robinson, double indemnity and uh, you know, uh, Scarlet yeah. street and little Caesar. It's hard to beat. Did you ever see the red house with Edward, Edward G. Robinson? I didn't. I've heard it's good, a great movie, yeah. but it's so weird that he's playing like a country farmer. Yeah. <laughs> it's such a weird, just chomping on his scar. <laughs> <Yeah>. I assume. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So here's, here's one and you can take it how I wrote it in a very specific way, but you can take it however you want. Clint Eastwood or John Wayne. Um, huh. Hmm. 
I guess I got to give it to Clint Eastwood because he's more of a double threat. Yeah. Right. And that's the thing is I wrote it as like Western icons. I was thinking purely in terms of actor, but it's just like, well, I wrote it and uh, people can take it how they want. But okay. Ask me again, purely in terms of actor. Clint Eastwood or John Wayne? Gary Cooper. (laughs) Hey, all right. Um, James Cameron or Robert Zemeckis? Um, I just talked shit about James Cameron's Terminator 2, and yet James Cameron. Okay. Uh, This one I think I know, uh, but amongst my my fellow film students, this is a tough one. Denis Villeneuve or Nicholas Winning Refn? Uh, You think you know? um, I'm not a huge fan of either, but I'd have to go with Nicholas Winning Refn. That was my assumption, yes. Yeah. Uh, Psycho or Rear Window? Um, it's been a long time since I've watched, uh, or watched Rear Window, actually. So I'm going to say I'm gonna say Psycho with an asterisk. I Ask believe, me again when I watch Rear Window again. Yeah, I believe you have my Hitchcock set. It has uh, Rear Window, and it has Psycho. Yes. Um, Which is yeah. good, because I may need to ask for that back, because as you can see, all my uh, Blu-rays uh, yeah. have been packed. So. Oh, I borrowed it to watch The Birds, which I haven't watched yet, but right. I did end up watching North by Northwest again. Man, that's a great movie. Uh, it is a really, really cool movie. I'd forgotten, because I remember when I first saw it, I don't think I had an appreciation for it, and now, and when I rewatched it last summer for my uh, Hitchcock class, I was like, this movie's great! Yeah. Um, and very funny at the same time. Yeah. Um, okay. Star Wars or Raiders of the Lost Ark? Um, 77 Star Wars. Raiders of the Lost Ark. I think me too. Yeah. Uh, LA Confidential or Chinatown? Chinatown. Okay. The Big Sleep or Maltese Falcon? Oh, that's a tough one. I'm going to go Big Sleep. But you would go Maltese Falcon, right? Every day of the week. Yeah. Alien or The Thing? Uh, Alien, because I haven't really seen The Thing. Okay. Oh, that's right. (laughs) Ben-Hur or Spartacus? Uh, I've never seen the original Ben-Hur. So if you're talking about Spartacus... The Stanley Kubrick film, or Ben Hur, the Timur Beckman-Beckman-Vitoff film from last year. That is what I'm referring to. Yes, obviously. <laughs> or, yeah, then obviously I'm going with Spartacus for that. Uh, Spartacus is great. I love Spartacus, but uh, I do need to watch Ben Hur. I, 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 I'd seen Ben Hur, I think, in high school, and my, and I don't think I even saw all of it. I saw a good portion of it. Uh, I re, uh, so I rewatched it, but for all intents and purposes, watched it for the first time okay. recently. It's great. Yeah, that uh, William, William Wyler. I don't like that at all. <laughs> That's very funny that we did Same that. Same phrasing, too. I don't yeah. like it. Uh, Michael Myers or Jason Voorhees? Uh, Michael Myers, because I've never seen a Friday the 13th movie. Mm. And I've seen, well, I've seen three Halloween movies, but only yeah. two of them have Michael Myers in them. Uh, and they're not the three you're thinking of. I've seen one, three, and six. Wow. Because the curse of Michael Myers happened to come out when I was in like eighth right. grade and my friend like rented a blockbuster and he watched it like at a sleepover or whatever. Halloween two is interesting. And I will say that Michael Myers is in Halloween three because a security guard is watching Halloween on, uh, on a TV. Oh, that's cute. Uh, and then lastly, uh, Fargo or Pulp Fiction? Uh, Fargo. Okay. Yeah. I'm, uh, that one, maybe it's, I think it might be, a generational thing. I would say Fargo. You say Fargo. I think a lot of people our age would say Fargo. Almost everybody else uh, that I talk to say Pulp Fiction. I think they see that as more of a cultural icon than Fargo. That's probably true, but I still think Fargo is a better movie. Oh, undoubtedly. Um, and so, yeah, I think I said all of the all of the other ones. Yeah, it's amazing I, how my opinion of or like where Quentin Tarantino stands for me has changed over time. Okay. Because there was a time I think when I was like 
when he was making Kill Bill movies and stuff. And I was like, why can't he get back to Jackie Brown to, to doing what he used to do? But now I feel like, oh, I was stupid. I want him to keep making these weird gonzo epics. Now, I don't want him to go back to making crime movies anymore. Uh, I would like to see him go back to making crime movies, having now made these other films and see what happens. Um, but I would need it to like, I, I don't want it to be like a contemporary crime movie. Like now that he's made so many period pieces, mm. I want him to make like a, you know, gangster squad live by night type of like 1930s oh, okay. crime movie. Maybe I want him to make a, I want him to make like a sci-fi movie. Wouldn't that be crazy? Uh, yeah. Like, uh, it takes place 50 years in the future. Yeah. Um, but, uh, inglorious bastards is still my favorite. I think that is probably no, his best, but Jane I do is so fucking good too. I think for me, I think it's between Inglorious Bastards, Jackie Brown, which I still love yep. more every time yep. I think about it, and then Pulp Fiction, which still is pretty solid. Um, Reservoir Dogs is the one that I feel like I'm good. Like I don't feel like I need to ever watch Reservoir Dogs again. I watched it so much when I was younger yeah. uh, that I feel like I would like to revisit it, but I do feel like I got it all. Yeah, <laughs> you know, which probably is not fair. But all right, let's uh, let's motor through some here. Okay. Um, you've already heard about the Mummy, um, Alice oh, yeah. Kurtzman's The Mummy. Mummy. There's not much that I need to say about it except have you ever had? I, I know you have. We've talked about this before. This this experience of like, so I left the movie. And I was like, that was not a good movie. I came home. Natalie was like, how was the movie? And I said, not good. Yeah. I was very straightforward. That was not a good movie. The next morning, the embargo lifted and people were so vicious about the movie that yeah. I was like, guys, it's just a regular, not good movie. Like, yeah. why do people, I, I, I almost want to see it again to be like, what are people hating so much about it? Like, it's just I almost want to see it for the first time for that reason. Yeah. It's just like regular bad. And in like, I would say the middle section actually went in the parts when first of Sophia Patella and Russell Crowe are both having fun, mm-hmm. which is good because no one else is, yeah. uh, unfortunately, uh, even Jake Johnson, who's supposed to be the comic relief is painful. It's not his fault. It's a dumb script and is a dumb character. It's like a watered down version of uh, Griffin Dunn from American Werewolf in London. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, and, and yeah, Tom Cruise is, that's the one like reaction was like, uh, that I've seen, like, I think LA weekly said like, why is Tom Cruise in the mummy? Like, it doesn't yeah. seem like a Tom Cruise type of movie and he does seem out of place. Um, so a, when, when it's Sophia Batella or Russell Crowe, um, uh, I'm enjoying, it, even though it's preposterous and dumb, all the stuff that's happening, like they're having fun. And also in the few bits in the middle section, the whole opening in the middle East is the worst part of the movie. It's bad to the point of being morally irresponsible. Yeah, I think that's what um, I've heard. And then the end of the movie is so what everyone has said, it's just about setting up the, the universe. Yeah. Um, and characters are making decisions, not based on the characters you've seen this entire time. They're making no. decisions based on where everyone needs to be in place for the next movie. Uh, but the middle section, which is the few points when Alex Kurtzman remembers that he's making the mummy, which is a horror movie. Yeah. Um, and it actually has some sort of like, not horror, like scares and screams, but like sort of Gothic horror stuff to it. And, and some, uh, grisly makeup slash CGI stuff. Uh, uh, you've got, uh, one sequence. Uh, I don't know if you mind if I'd spoil it. So you could, uh, the mummy or yeah, Sophia Batella, she, um, to, 
rebuild herself, she sucks the life out of people. Mm-hmm. And it was with each person she like sucks the life out of, she becomes more whole again, as opposed to a desiccated corpse. But the people she sucks life out of become desiccated corpses, but ambulatory ones that she commands as her army. Oh, right. Uh, so she's got an army of essentially zombies, but, um, uh, one of their, uh, they're, they're driving through the woods. Tom Cruise and, uh, Annabelle Wallace are trying to get away from this. And one has hung on to the, the van and they keep punching it. And as they're punching it, like pieces of it are falling off and falling out the window. But because it's a zombie type thing, yeah. it's still coming out after them. Like, all the, it's like a full body. And then it's just like the top half of a torso. And then it's like missing an arm and like the head's gone and the arms still coming after them. Mm. It's a really cool little sort of like horror action ish part. Yeah. Uh, it's probably the high, it's absolutely the highlight of the movie. Um, and I feel like people kind of like forgot, like, you know, there's a couple things that work in the movie. Again, if you're asking me if it's a good movie, it's not a good movie. Yeah. I don't recommend you go see it. I just don't understand why everyone hated it so much. I have a theory. Okay. I think people don't like Tom Cruise. I think people like the idea of him being in a terrible movie. Like by which I mean in a in a uh, uh Schadenfreude kind of way. Um, I think there are people that defend him. I think there are people that still enjoy if he is in a good movie, like a mission impossible film. But I think people see him as self-indulgent. I think based on just stuff that I hear and the way the relish that people, uh, take, you take relish, you do something with relish, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I know what you mean. In talking about his self-indulgence and his ego and, in the reviews that I've read, it really does seem like his presence in the film, it doesn't raise their expectations. It just makes them enjoy bashing the movie so much more because I think it's to the point now that people see him as you're an old man. Now, Hmm. why are you still doing this? What kind of ego must you have? Um, at least in the reviews that, but of course if the movie were good, I think they wouldn't have a problem with it at all. Like in the, the last mission impossible okay. um, or edge of tomorrow. But um, I, I, if I had to guess, I would have said it was more about people, uh, especially people who watch a lot of movies and follow movies um, being fed up with the uh, uh, extended universe type thing. It and, could the way, be that. and the way that this is the boldest so far in that it, the movie starts with the dark universe logo yeah. before you even get to, uh, now you saw Dracula untold. I did, which, which is not part of this universe. It was going to be, I guess, uh, before it completely flopped. Yeah. Uh, well, and that, you know what? I think you bring up something else, which is it's an opportunity for critics to do what, to do their best to stop this thing before it gets started. Yeah. And that's, that's, I guess kind of a shame because, I like of all the extended universes that exist out there. If you were to describe, you know, to me and I hadn't seen any, any movies from any Mm -hmm. Marvel DC, the Warner brothers monsters extended universe and the universal dark universe and asked, which one do you want to watch the movies of? I'd say the dark universe. Those sounds like I like horror stuff. I like that. Um, they wouldn't necessarily be beholden to decades of comic book history. Right. You know, that they could kind of have fun, uh, with doing Gothic horror, uh, overlap stuff. I would like it more if it was truly Gothic, like if it actually took place in the 1920s or something like that. Uh, That would have been very cool. Yeah. Like, 
I'm I'm a defender of the Wolfman with Benicio del Toro. Right. I think they do some really fun stuff uh, visually, and you you know seeing castles and like fog on the on the on the river by the or on the, on the lake by the castle. It's just like and hearing like the clip clop of hooves up to the up to the castle. It's just like it's it's really I enjoyed that quite a bit. Um, and so it'd be nice. It'd be really cool if they did the extended universe thing, but on universal terms, you know, where, where there are castles and it actually is an extended universe that is horror based, but based on what I hear about the mummy, it sounds like, no, 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 there's still, there's trying to do the action thing it's an action in movie. modern times. Yeah. It, it, like I said, it has some horror touches and yeah. that's when it's at its best. Um, but it's an action movie. Uh, all right. I said, I wasn't going to talk about that long. We went on way too long. Uh, what's next for you? Next for me is unsurprisingly Jurassic world. Um, because Jen is the type, she loves Jurassic world. And I, as you know, have a weird associate, a weird relationship with that (laughs) movie in that I, and it would appear I alone, uh, think that it is doing some really fascinating things even if the film itself is not that good um from a story standpoint and it absolutely is not that good from a story standpoint like if i thought you know if i thought the characters from jurassic park are thin uh jurassic world oh my gosh don't even get me started but um but i'm excited because this summer i'm i'm not taking any classes and so i've decided i'm going to do a a, a video essay about Jurassic world you and all no this class stuff. this summer. Huh? That's true on so many <laughs> levels. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so, um, so in watching it, I just felt more and more vindicated in the stuff that I think about it, but I need to go out of my way to say like, yeah, narratively it makes very little sense and it doesn't do, it doesn't do nearly enough to make me forget that. Um, but, uh, but thematically it's doing a lot that I really like and appreciate. And I feel like it's focused, it's it might be focused so much on that, that they forget to put any kind of, uh, effort into the film. And I think it, you know, in talking about the, uh, about the mummy and about this new extended universe that they may or may not be trying to do, um, at this point, you think it's going to, even, even though they've announced half the cast, uh, you think it's going to fall apart? I think so. Honestly, uh, the first one did so poorly and I don't think, and I know the next one was going to be bride of Frankenstein and maybe that'll do well for them. But at the same time, I feel like as much as I actually like the idea of Johnny Depp as the invisible man. And I do, um, do you, you uh, like 2017 Johnny Depp as the invisible man? I mean, I'm kind of okay with it. Honestly, when I, when I think of who the invisible man is and what is required to play him, which is, you know, you can you do need to kind of be over the top, uh, as Claude Rains was. And I think Johnny Depp, Johnny Depp could pull that off uh, pretty well, actually. Um, right. so, uh, I'll buy it, but I will say that when you watch the original Jurassic park and then you watch Jurassic world, it really on so many levels, shows you the, the how far uh, you can look at it one of two ways how far blockbusters have come or how far they, how far they have fallen um because tonally Jurassic World is so different than Jurassic Park Jurassic Park has moments of actual like 
suspense and maybe even horror mm-hmm. uh jurassic world has nothing like that it is primarily a- a action adventure which is okay but it is really there are no there really are no set pieces uh in jurassic world that are similar in tone to jurassic park and i'm sure that's by design but i it, you know once again in the film, they're talking about like, well, we can't, it, when they're talking about dinosaurs, they're saying like, people are bored by dinosaurs. We need to be bigger. We need to be sexier. We need to be cooler. Uh, and the film itself seems to be trying to do that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, which, you know, once again, it's hard for me to condemn that when the film seems acutely aware of it and is commenting on it. So anyway, so that you haven't seen Jurassic world, right? No, I never even saw Jurassic park three. Uh, the Jurassic world references it once, uh, sort of as a way of saying, fuck you, Jurassic park three. Oh really? Yeah. And it's, and it's barely noticeable, but I love it. Why? Why people are mad at Jurassic park three? Because they introduced this new dinosaur called the Spinosaurus Uh and they, they try to say like, yeah, this is, it's even like bigger than the, and and Jurassic world does it too, but in a different tone Uh in Jurassic uh, in Jurassic Park three, it's like the Spinosaurus, like it's, it's, it's bigger than the T-Rex. They have it fight a T-Rex and then like kill it very quickly because they're trying to, they're trying to like, you know, up the ante a little bit. Oh, okay. And now they do have a dinosaur that's like bigger than the T-Rex in Jurassic world, but it is to the degree that, a, that a, an animal can be, it is the villain. Like there are no hero shots of it. It is a thing that needs to be destroyed and you want it to be destroyed. Um, okay. And there comes a moment when, uh, the Indominus Rex from Jurassic world, uh, fights the T-Rex specifically the T-Rex from the first Jurassic park. And there is a moment when, uh, uh, the T-Rex bursts through a skeleton and the skeleton is the Spinosaurus from Jurassic Park three. So <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. All right. Uh, I said, we mentioned Edward G. Robinson. I saw a movie from 1956 called nightmare starring Kevin McCarthy and Edward G. Robinson, mm. uh, in which Kevin McCarthy at the beginning of the movie has a nightmare in okay. which he has, uh, so a little someone. panicky. You say, um, what, yeah. are the, what are the odds? <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, in which he has murdered someone and he wakes up to find certain remnants from the dream are true. He's still holding the key that he was holding. He's got bruises on his neck from where his murder victim tried to stop him by choking him. Mm-hmm. And so he goes to his brother-in-law, Edward G. Robinson, who's a detective and is like, you got to help me figure out what's going on. I'm afraid I might've killed someone. That's the story. All right. Very cool movie. Uh, I don't have anything else really to say about it. it takes place in New Orleans and they shot a lot of, uh, stuff on location. So there's a lot of stuff in, you know, you get to see 1956, like canal street. Yeah. You don't really see like, a lot of old movies, uh, in yeah. New Orleans. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was, uh, it's, it's, it's cool stuff. That All sounds right. really good. Yeah. What's, uh, uh, what's next for you? Uh, next for me is another rewatch. Uh, this may sound strange. I was in the mood to watch seven. Okay. Who, who, I can who see gets, that. Who gets in that mood? That makes no sense at all. Um, well, I can see that. I think I actually, I was watching old episodes of Siskel and Ebert, uh, to uh, honestly, to prepare for the, the paper that I'm writing right now. Um, and, uh, I watched their review of seven and as they were talking about it, um, you know, 
in retrospect, we talk, you know, it's not uncommon to have people refer, uh, approach it like a horror movie itself. Um, mm-hmm. But they approach it as a, a, a police procedural about just like these two partners. And but but with this twist of being like darker and more expressionistic and that sort of thing. And it's like, oh, yeah, I guess you could see it that way. But it I, was, I think that's kind of closer to how I think of it. And I think of it as like a neo-noir. Sure. Um, But there is a difference between a a straightforward police procedural and a noir. And they don't, they like, it's, it's very novel for them. But to me, like, and, and uh, it's weird. I don't say, I don't think they're wrong, but it's always fun to go back and watch, watch them talk about Goodfellas for the very first time. Uh Watch them talk about Pulp Fiction or or these other movies that would change the way they talked about movies from that decade. And movies that, because we are younger than they are, we we look at Goodfellas like, oh yeah, just from the time that I... From the moment I started getting into movies, Goodfellas was like this amazing achievement. Right. Um, And Seven, yes, I saw it when I was 13 with my brother, um, but it has gone on... Because... Fincher would become who he was. We look back at seven as like the first real Fincher film because the studio had messed with alien three so much. And so we see so much of him now, uh, in that film and we see like, Oh yeah, but it's, it, it feels, it feels almost legendary in the sense that I feel like we have elevated, elevated it beyond just another procedural that has some film noir and some horror twists to it like Siskel and Ebert were. And so, so I wanted to watch it through the lens of being a film watcher in your, you know, being a middle-aged film watcher and there's this new director and he's making right. a procedural. And so, and, and a new star, Brad Pitt was still not necessarily, uh, he was not like Hollywood royalty by that point. Um, and so, uh, so it was really, uh, looking at it that way, it really did seem quite novel in so many, in so many ways. Like, and, and the fact that they just jump right into gluttony, which I would say structurally is, is a, that is a great sin to start on. Um, because you know, I, and I don't mean to, to, to fat shame or speak ill of, of overweight people. Uh, I myself am that. Um, but when you just, when they walk in and they just see this very large man just hunched over his table, like the victim, even before he was a victim is jarring to see, mm-hmm. um, as opposed to, you know, the, the lawyer that he kills for greed. It's like, okay, well now there's blood all over the place and that's gross. But the person himself looks fairly normal. Uh, and I, I feel, I feel bad saying the word normal, but looks average. Let's say mm-hmm. that. Um, and so it's a script that I really like. And the way the story unfolds, I think is really solid. I think seven is a film that I have. Well, certainly since I was 13, it's a film I've come to appreciate yeah. more. And, uh, it's, it's one that I, looking at it as a procedural um because i love procedurals as you know i love law and order and looking at it that way i was able to see why for me it is so much it is so rewatchable um, it's incredibly rewatchable yeah which 
in a way that horror movies and a lot of neo-noir is not for me, but because it's a procedural and there's always that forward momentum and they're always looking yeah. for clues. That's enough to bring me back. Um, you know, we were talking about, um, logical lapses in movies. This is all, f- uh, fuel for our upcoming sure. uh, episode, but this one doesn't bother me. Because Maybe let's I, just cut all these comments together and not yeah. actually record the episode. <laughs> um, this one doesn't actually bother me because I do like seven more or less. But if you think about it, in order to find the guy who's been starved on the one year anniversary, that's he yeah. has to know that Brad Pitt won't notice the painting is upside down the first time he goes yeah. to the lawyer's office or apartment or whatever yeah. it is. Like that it, shows he a, has to yeah. know that it'll yeah. take him a day and a half yeah. to figure that out in order for that to happen. That's an acute awareness <laughs> of the limitations of that cop. Yeah. Um, yeah that's um, the thing is like if it is, it's like a year to the day. Come on. Yeah. Like now you're getting into genuine, like, superhero villain territory and it actually it would have been interesting if it had been a year plus a day yeah and they like you know made some reference to if i'd know you know yeah if i'd noticed the painting yesterday or whatever yeah. um anyway that's not the point uh here's one thing i don't know if it's wrong to say i missed this but uh something you don't see anymore because Los Angeles' downtown has become so revitalized over the past 10 years. Yeah. It used to be Los Angeles in movies like Seven and Constantine and the Midnight Meat Train used to be a place where you could set, like, we're never going to say what movie this, or what city this is. It just sort of represents a general idea of contemporary urban hell. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and Los Angeles doesn't get, downtown Los Angeles doesn't get used to that purpose anymore because it's been revitalized. And some of that is great and some of that is awful. Uh, it's a mixed bag. Um, but that was a weird, like strain of movies in the late nineties and early two thousands. You know, it's interesting along those lines. So, uh, Jen, my wife is a uh, wedding photographer and she's been at it long enough and been in Los Angeles doing it, uh, having her own business for long enough that you're able to see certain trends, Mm -hmm. uh, within the city. And so like, over the last few years, there are a lot more ven- there are a lot more weddings she's shooting downtown because there's a lot more venues opening downtown. Yeah. Um, she shot my wedding downtown, yeah, exactly. And so, yeah. uh, and so, even just uh, last week, I actually I dropped her off uh, downtown and and then went back, and it was like a warehouse that had recently been converted into a venue. And uh, so it is. It's interesting to to chart the uh, the evolution. Of, or just whatever you want to call it, the changing of the city. Uh, yeah. Well, along it's been, those lines. it's been really, I guess you were just here on the tip of that. Cause I've been here a little bit longer than you. Um, I'm coming up on 12 years very, very soon. Um, so I saw the, you know, downtown what it was in 2005 when I moved here and then I saw it start to revitalize. And then I saw all that get stopped during the recession Mm-hmm. And then, as you're saying, pick back back up again yeah. with great urgency uh, over the past few years. Uh, and now it's crazy, and some of it's great, and like I said, some of it's awful. Yeah. Uh, is it my turn? Yes. Um, I saw, uh, this comes out in a couple weeks, I saw the new Errol Morris documentary. It's called The B-Side, or the, f- the full name is The B-Side, Elsa Dorfman's Portrait Photography. Okay. Um, and it's a, uh, it's a very slight, you know, I would call this minor Errol Morris. It's about, the whole movie is about 76 minutes long. Okay. Um, and it is a portrait of a portrait artist. <laughs> um, uh, and I think that's not just me being clever. I think that is, uh, the, the sort of, that's a very knowing, uh, in the way the movie is, is presented. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but Elsa Dorfman is, uh, I guess she's, I say was, she's still alive, but she's retired now. 
um, a, a photographer, uh, who, um, came up about the time of like the, the, uh, at the end of like the beat poets and into like the Bob Dylan types. Mm -hmm. And she, she has photographs of Bob Dylan. Um, she was very good friends, um, with, uh, with Allen Ginsberg. There are a lot of pictures of Allen Allen Ginsberg. Um, and so she took a lot of pictures, um, of, of her, of her life and her friends and they, she used to entertain. Um, and then, uh, what, really sets her apart is that in the seventies she started working pretty much exclusively in the format of Polaroid. Oh, okay. Uh, and then ended up doing something that I didn't even realize existed, which is large format Polaroid, which is Polaroid made, uh, they're like, um, I can't, no, I can't remember. I, I, I don't have my notes. I can't remember the, the, de, uh, the dimensions, but it's like 20 inch by 40 inch. Like, and hmm. so, you know, remember the way the Polaroid works? Yeah. That doesn't get blown up after the fact. The camera has to be big enough. And wow. so they made four of these. And they never actually sold them to anyone. Certain photographers were able to rent them. And so she rented one for decades and just had a studio um, where she was just, people would come in and for, for portraits and she would take yeah. these large format. Uh, and then there's a couple later toward the end, uh, or I guess maybe the height of Polaroid in the 80s, they made a couple of ones that are even bigger than that. They're almost life size, like, uh, portraits. And she talked about how, like, um, how difficult those are because you have to, like, even when you're taking the, you know, you, you rip the back off of yeah. the thing, a, a Polaroid with that, you have to like, make sure you do it gently, but also evenly. Like you can't, you can't start, mm. if you start to lift it and then like stop, it's going to leave a mark. So yeah. you have to do this, like it's like 80 inches tall or whatever. And you have to like walk it, um, and so, uh, it's called the B side because she was, um, like I said, people would just come in, just families or whoever would come in yeah. to have their portrait, ta- portrait taken, uh, in this, you know, sort of, uh, unique ish, uh, way. And the way her agreement with them worked was she took two pictures because the Polaroid film was expensive. You can't just take a whole roll. Right. She took two pictures when they developed in front of everyone's eyes, like Polaroids do the people who came in got to pick one. And then she got to keep the other one. That's hmm. the way it worked. And so she has, um, most of the film is her being interviewed in amongst her archive, which is just these stacks of like these sliding drawers that are these large format, uh, B sides. And so a lot of them, someone's blinking or like the, you know, the kid isn't looking at the camera or huh. like, uh, you know, there was some sort of, like I said, taking the back off, there was some sort of development issue and there's like a green or yellow spot on it or whatever. Uh, and it's a, it's really charming. And she, is quite such a character and so charming. She is from the Boston area and has a thick, <laughs> thick, uh, Massachusetts accent. Um, uh, and, uh, it's, yeah, the movie's a, a delight that I absolutely recommend. It's called the B side. You know, this is why I don't think I could ever be an artist of any kind, because my first thought when you're describing like the, like the peeling off of the <laughs> backing, my first thought was like, man, that sounds like a lot of work. <laughs> that can't possibly be worth it. <laughs> just take photos, just take normal photos and just blow them up, you yeah. know? And I recognize that's not the point, Yeah, but anyway. Oh, there's also fair warning. This is, uh, specifically in reference to our upcoming, uh, episode. Um, see a fair amount of naked Allen Ginsberg in this movie. <laughs> Apparently Allen Ginsberg in life was not someone who was shy about being naked. And, uh, Elsa Dorfman says actually liked being photographed naked. So yeah. Now it's interesting that you say that given what our 
upcoming episode is is going to be because now I really want to see the movie. <laughs> you have conv- by telling by giving me that warning, you've convinced me to see this film. The name of which I've already forgotten. The B side. The B side. Um, okay, so I have two more movies to talk about. How many more do you have? I also um, I have two more. I have three more, but one two of them I'm going to lump, lump together. Okay, and I have a. A fourth one that I'm under embargo. Okay. Um, well, then what I'll do is I will work this out so that, well, maybe this won't work. I was going to try and work it out because one of them, because we share one. Oh. Is and it, it's, it's Wonder Woman. Okay. Um, but I was, I was thinking like, oh, maybe I'll save it for the end. Who cares? Wonder Woman is my next one. Okay, great. That means I only have one more after this. Um, yeah, Wonder Woman. It's great. Uh, is it great? Parts of it are great. I'd say, by and large, I think it is very, very good. Um, here's what I'll say. Okay. Because I think it's great. Okay. And I, uh, here's a, this is, this is going to be, I'm walking a thin line here. Okay. Because I talked about what some of my favorite superhero movies are. Mm-hmm. But there's also the sort of platonic ideal of a superhero movie. And so okay. I'm going to make a list. Top five best superhero movies from that point of view of being like the most perfect superhero movies okay in roughly chronological order even the the second or third one i can't remember what order they came out superman 1978 then you've got spider-man 2 2002 4 2004 okay incredibles was before that then same year okay incredibles 2004 avengers 2012 yeah wonder woman 2017 those are the five now you notice i didn't mention x2 which is a movie that i love but i feel like it's not what i'm talking about in terms of the id idea of a uh, of a grand superhero movie well and also i would say that it's I, I i love x2 but it's worth noting that the films that you just listed um and now admittedly incredibles wasn't based on anything but the movies you just listed are the ones in which like they're unapologetic Superman wears the Superman outfit. Same with Spider-Man, same with the Avengers, same with Wonder Woman. Like yeah. they're not wearing like the, the, the black right. spandex uh, yeah. uh, leather or anything like that. They're, they're unapologetic. Like, no, uh, Captain America is going to wear the red, white, and blue. I know it might look kind of silly, but this is what we're going to do. And Wonder Woman, the same deal. Yeah. So yeah, I, I can, I, I totally understand what you're saying. And so uh, there's been a lot of talk and I know this is your turn and I'm like fine. dominating it, but there's been a lot of talk, including on our upcoming episode that we just re- recorded, which I'm very excited about you guys listening to a lot of talk about people crying like mm-hmm. during wonder woman. And a lot of it is being approached from a representation and gender point of view. Right. Um, I found myself welling up in this movie a lot of times just because of the power of the moment in the imagery, mm-hmm. you, you know, uh, there's, you know, when, when she appears on top of the like ruined church tower and the entire like town, yeah, uh, like I, I got, I, I got emotional during that. And I, I feel like that's, that's what I'm talking about is that, uh, yeah, you, you use the word un- unapologetic. This is just a big grand movie that is not trying to be, it's not self-conscious, uh, uh about yeah. itself. It's, it's, it, it's, it, it's, it's dedicated to ideals. I think that are simple but in a way they're pure well patty jenkins released a not didn't release a statement but in an interview she was talking about how she's not afraid to be sincere and that mm-hmm. just in general and in, in in her career and that there's such an there's oh, such she was a saying she doesn't like the word cheesy or corny or something yeah, like that? Yeah. yeah i think i saw that and and this idea that there's such pressure certainly in the superhero uh, uh 
genre, um, to not be earnest, to be kind of dark and cynical. And that is a lot of people's big complaint with the DC universe right now. Um, that even with Superman who is meant to be, you know, Batman is dark. That's fine. But Superman is meant to be above that and maybe a little bit detached. That's fine. But so many of the films, uh, certainly Batman versus Superman, it's like, okay, I'm saving all these people and I kind of hate it. <laughs> what? Why? Like, why, why do this? I guess because you can, but do you hate people? Is that the deal? And there's something about, I think, having read that, that interview uh, before I saw the film, you know, I couldn't help but go into the film with this in mind. But like, yeah, Wonder Woman is, the, the character of Wonder Woman is excited to save people. She has a genuine, benevolent love of humanity, even if she hasn't really experienced any of it. And there's a naivete to her, but there's also a choice. And it's a big part of what the film is about. Like, deserves got nothing to do with it. You make a choice. And she made she makes the choice to, even when she understands more of how the world works and how people are, she still chooses to think the best of people and hope for the best and work for the best, as opposed to just having the weight of the world on her shoulders all the time, which she could. Yeah. Um, and that choice, just that, that, tone and that mood and that attitude just permeates the whole film and it becomes a film that is not it's not light and airy and bouncy there are moments of humor and all that but it all but it's just it's a film that is in genuinely enjoyable to watch it is not work uh but it also is uncompromising at the same time that is that's what you can do you are able to do that maybe best when you are unafraid of sincerity and when uh, yeah. you don't think cheesy is a, is a dirty word. Um, yeah. I wonder if maybe that's why I was so emotional, uh, during the movie is that it's, um, the movie has such hope for humanity at a time when that's like, that's not a platitude. Like there's a lot of awfulness going on in humanity yeah. right now. And so to assert that yes, human humans can be, awful and yet we're still worth it and we still have potential and we could still do better. Uh, Like maybe that's why I was so emotional during it because that resonated so much with me and I really hope things uh, do get better. We've seen, I mean, since I've seen the movie, we've had, you know, the, the shooting in Arlington and um, the responses to it from uh, all across the spectrum, which have been, uh, I mean, obviously there's also been a lot of positive, you know, hopeful responses and I'm trying to focus on that and I'm trying to stay off Twitter because even among people, uh, it just, it's, some of the responses have been uh, really upsetting to me. Yeah. Um, maybe I need to see Wonder Woman again. Let me ask you a question, by the way, given that, and this is uh, this is off topic and I'm not saying I'm not, I'm not trying to like get, I'm not trying to gotcha. Okay. You're a big fan of the movie shooter, Uh huh. <laughs> which uh, I know that like part of, part of the thing that you like about it is how unabashed it is yeah. about the idea of, Hey, sometimes the government's going to turn against us and we need to, I believe one of your favorite things about the film is that the main character just outright shoots a Senator. Um, yeah. After saying the, the Ned Beatty says, you know, you can't kill me. I'm a U.S. Senator. And he right. says, I know. And it shoots him in the face. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty rough. Yeah. Uh, um, now of course I don't think that you take any glee in the, the shooting no, of a, of course not. Congressman. I, mean, I, I don't, uh, I mean, I'm of the opinion that people, you know, I, 
I don't like any of the rhetoric that says like, Oh, the vileness of the rhetoric led to this because people make their own decisions. And, uh, you know, I didn't feel, you know, people said it, the, you know, uh, on the other side too, you know, when, uh, uh, you know, we've seen, um, uh, certain acts of violence, um, done, uh, by Trump supporters as well. Like, and people say this, like people on my side say the same yeah. thing, you know, about rhetoric. And I don't think we should be forced to, uh, to be forced to censor themselves because of what someone else might do after right. they hear those words. Unless, I mean, obviously if those words are specifically directing someone to, right. you should go do this, that's different. That's inciting violence. Yeah. Literally that, that's not what I'm, what I'm talking about. Um, uh, and I and I do think that when someone is you know when a uh, a, a vocal Trump supporter is, you know does violence against the minority or in this case when a vocal uh, and active Bernie Sanders supporter right. I think I, I I would like to see Trump and Sanders address that directly and, yeah. and, and Sanders and did and, and yeah had a very good like didn't hem and haw like he condemned it completely and essentially said it like not only do i condemn this but like kind of sent a message like this is not acceptable anybody who might be thinking about it in the future in any form um yeah well good, yeah good for him um yeah. uh, i saw that he made a statement i didn't see what it was because like i said i've been trying to avoid uh, a lot of this because it's probably for the best um so much um but uh, anyway, yeah, Wonder Woman. Yeah. Uh, so sorry for that uh, that digression, but it, it's it is interesting. It's it, you, okay. This is again maybe a bit lofty, but I feel like okay. I feel like Wonder Woman is the superhero movie we need right now. In the same way that maybe The Dark Knight was the superhero movie we needed at the mm. time. Um, do you know what I mean? Like there was a reason that it resonated with people because at the time now obviously the concept of terrorism has not gone away, but the Joker represented a different type of villain for the superhero genre. You know, they rewrote that character, didn't rewrite him, but you know, rather than the crazy gangster of the 1989 version, uh, or the purely ridiculous, uh, Cesar Romero version, they went with a character who has an ideology Mm -hmm. and, and it seemed to really resonate with people, and especially the idea of a hero who is willing to bend the rules, especially when it comes to surveillance, in order to do some good, and maybe that is the wrong thing to do. That was very relevant to political discussions of the time. And so the idea of of Wonder Woman being at war with the concept of war, being mm-hmm. at war with the concept of evil, and recognizing that people fall prey to it, and this speaks to another choice that I love, which is, and I know that it's rooted in the comic book, but like world war one, not two, two. It is a little easier but to the speak. The comic book is world war two. Is it? Yeah. Okay. Started in 1941. Uh, I, oh, okay. no, wait, it was, yeah. Mid forties. Maybe. Okay. Uh, so yeah, all the more reason why it would be very easy to think purely in terms of world war two, which yeah, the Nazis were full on evil. You know, they were doing evil things that were outside of normal war. Um, and so I feel like it would have been harder to make 
the film that they made with World War II. But with World War I, which honestly, there's a lot of iconography in World War I that is not exploited enough in film, like gas masks, trench warfare, uh, biplanes. Like those are those can look really cinematic and really powerful. Um, and I like that they chose that because that's a war that yeah, I guess we, I guess Germany was like the bad guy in that war, but that was a more conventional war. And so how do you even think in terms of good guys and bad guys? I don't think you can. Well, it seems like uh, it seems conventional to us now, but I think based on interviews I've read, the reason they chose to set it in world war one instead of world war two is that world war one was the, like the first fully mechanized war in which like you could, people were, killing each other whose faces they would never see. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and that's why they sent it there. So it did actually represent a new kind of war, especially like yeah. French warfare. And, and uh, yeah. And it is, you know, the war to end all wars. That certainly would appeal to yeah. Wonder Woman uh, and, and now, what her goals are. Now, you know who understood this? I, the uh, uh, iconography of World War One. Who's that? Is uh, Zack Snyder and Sucker Punch. Remember? Yes, I do. Yeah, the uh, Nazi World War One Germans, or not Nazi, uh, the zombie World War One Germans. That's right. Who were not not Nazis because it was World War One. So maybe he's the one that said, "Hey, Patty Jenkins, you know what we should do?" <laughs> and if you could I got actually, all these costumes. yeah, there's a bunch of gas masks <laughs> in my garage. <laughs> we could save a cool two thousand um, dollars. Yeah, and so I like that. I really like. Um, uh, the villains and I don't want to spoil anything. So I like the reveal of, of, uh, the final villain. Um, there's just a lot to like about this film. And you know what else I will say at the risk of sounding like a standard conservative, uh, is that it is a, you know, it is a a very feminist movie in a lot of ways, but I like that it doesn't, it leads with character it doesn't necessarily lead with ideology. I feel like if it led with ideology, it would do what so many TV shows and commercials do, which is she is the only capable one and she is constantly underestimated by men. She shows them up and they are dumbfounded and they don't learn anything. They ultimately say she's the best and we're awful. Maybe, um, she is underestimated, but then once, once they see how capable she is, they adjust their expectations and now she's part of the team and she's an essential part of the team. But what I like is that they all is that like the Chris Pine character also has a part to play. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it very much, I don't know. It's, it's hard to explain. It would have been very easy in a pandery kind of way to say like, no one can do anything except her. Oh, um, right, yeah. but, but that's not, but this is a war movie on top of everything else. And it is important yeah. to rely on other people. And, and she is more capable than the rest of them in a number of ways. But they, but like I said, they still have a part to play. And so I like that. I feel like that is leading with character that is leading with story and letting the idea, letting, letting the ideology or the message fall where it may. And in doing so, I think it winds up being more powerful as a result um, I would agree. from a feminist standpoint. I would agree. All right. Uh, moving on. But keeping in the war realm, okay. I watched um, two of the um, World War II uh, documentaries that are available on Netflix. You talked about them uh, on a somewhat recent uh, movie journal. Um, I watched uh, the aforementioned William Wyler's um, 
uh, wait, which one did he do? Uh, he did uh, the Memphis Bell. Okay. And I watched John Ford's uh, How to Operate Behind Enemy Lines. Okay. Have you? Did you watch both of those? I did not watch any of them. Oh, okay. I watched the the you know. You watched Five Came Back. Yeah. Okay. Um, How to Operate Behind Enemy Lines is. Um, it's not just a clever title. It literally is like it starts with a class of soon to be spies and their instructor or whatever is like, we're going to show you a film. And then the next hour is just the film that they watch. And it literally is just a bunch of scenes and it should be called how not to operate behind enemy lines yeah. because it's just all the ways that spies can get caught. Hmm. Um, and it's interesting, but it also gets kind of repetitive and also like the train, I mean, maybe the, maybe they don't have a version of it that's in good uh, condition, but, uh, the transfer is not great and the sound is terrible. Hmm. Um, so yeah, how do I, how do I operate behind any lines? It's, it's, it's definitely interesting to see, you know, what, you know, when we see the big world war two representations, we're not often seeing just the, you know, the intelligence part of it. You know, there's so much focus on, I think the, the, you know, the infantry and the, you know, boots on the ground and the, you know, platoons and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's interesting to see these, um, uh, people trying to, uh, uh, infiltrate and trying to blend in with the enemy or whatever. Uh, they all fail though. That's, that's ah. the thing is that that's every scene is like, here's what this person did wrong. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, it's weirdly specific. Like, You're like, so that Hitler guy's pretty terrible, right? Damn it. <laughs> I meant to say, I meant to say great. Uh, yeah. Um, and the, but then the Memphis bell, which is, um, uh, is, is just fantastic. It's, um, the Memphis bell, uh, was and is it still exists the plane uh, a, a a bomber that flew out of flew uh, out of England and flew missions uh, over uh, over Europe and um, the it is really just an overview of one one mission mm-hmm. um, but one mission involves you know twenty something planes uh, the focus is on the Memphis Bell because it's um, the last mission the the crew. Um, once you've flown 25 missions, they, then that's when you're done. That's when you get to go home, assuming you survive, which mm-hmm. a lot of people don't. Um, and so it's the 25th mission, mission of the Memphis bell. Um, uh, and that's, that's a big deal at the beginning, especially at the end. Um, when like the King and Queen of England come to visit after the, wow. after the plane returns from its 25th mission and uh, all this stuff. But like most of it is just sort of like a step by step moment by moment, like from, the mo- not, not from the planning, but from the moment the pilots and the gunners and the crew learn what their mission is through the mission. Like they've got cameras on various planes on this mission that are actually dropping bombs and getting, you know, catch, catching flack mm-hmm. as it were. And like that stuff is just, you know, that's, that's why they sent these filmmakers to world war two is to make this stuff that you couldn't have made. Uh, otherwise, although some of it apparently was, uh, reshot in California. Um, yeah, it's not super uncommon for some of those. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, like you're seeing, you know, you're seeing planes get hit, you know, out of yeah. the window of one plane, you see another plane get hit and, and go down. And like you hear, uh, even though I think the dialogue is, uh, replaced later, yeah. uh, but you're hearing the crewman saying, uh, like counting, they, they know there's 10 guys on that plane and they're counting the parachutes to see if yeah. everyone, uh, could get out. It's, it's harrowing. Uh, and it, it's, it's fantastic. So I'm, I'm going to watch the, some of the other ones I've seen prelude to war, the Frank Capra one. I saw that in, uh, the war propaganda class I took 
in college. And then I've also seen the battle of San Pietro, which is right. one of the John Houston ones, but they have another John Houston one on, uh, on Netflix, which is the concentration camp. one. no, it's a, le- it's a prisoner of war. Let one. there be light. light. Yeah. Who did the concentration camp one? I don't recall. But who are the five directors? John Ford, William Wyler, John Houston, Frank Capra. Who, who was the other one? Whoever the other George one was. George Stevens. Uh, maybe, maybe that's one who did the concentration camp one. Yeah. Um, so, uh, Okay, and I forget, did you, you saw Five Came Back, right? No, I didn't. Okay. Um, yeah, it's, it's, as I've said before, uh, it is interesting. I feel like it should be more informative, but maybe that's what the films are there for, as they fill in the, the blanks that the documentary has. Um, so my last film is uh, 47 Meters Down, which right. I was excited for, and... Um, Cause it's, I'll say this is a hell of a trailer. Um, there, I mean, I watched it with a, a friend of mine and, and he was freaked out by it. He goes, Oh my gosh, this looks super intense and it is intense. Um, but, uh, I, okay. So recently on Facebook, I think I was, uh, talking about my, uh, my recent list of 10 directors that could save the alien covenant, uh, franchise, uh, sorry, the alien franchise. Um, and, and a friend of the show, Pat Francis chimed in and said that he actually, uh, kind of liked alien covenant, but then he also talked about, uh, how a director, even the best director cannot overcome a bad script. Now I don't necessarily believe that, but 47 meters down is a good argument that a bad script can, if you'll pardon me, sink a movie. Um, it is, I mean, I'll pardon you by the way. I will. Oh, I know you would. Yes. Um, but, uh, it has one of the worst scripts I have heard in many, many years. Uh, the underwater photography is fine. The acting is not that great. Um, the premise is good and they make a very smart decision. It's about these two, uh, sisters who, uh, are, uh, on, ba- on, on, what was that? Doing it for themselves. Sisters are doing it for themselves. Is that from something? Yeah, that's a thing. Okay. Sorry. I don't know things. Um, but, uh, they're on vacation in Mexico. And so they go on this boat that, uh, where they can go into a shark cage, uh, around like these 20 foot, uh, great whites. And then the, the rope breaks and the, the cage plunges 47 uh-huh. meters to the bottom of, of that, of that part of the ocean. And so they're stuck down there and they need to get, and they're running out of oxygen cause they're, and but there are a bunch of sharks in between them and the boat. All right. That's a pretty good premise. Yeah. Um, and the film very wisely does not cut to the boat. It, we stay down there with the girls the whole time. Can they talk? They can, oh. um, because they've, they've got like the, the walkie talkies or whatever, or the radio, okay. uh, radios like inside their scuba gear. Can they talk to the boat? Uh, no, they can't. They're out of range. So they actually have to leave the cage, go up a little bit so that they can talk to the boat. Um, so okay. that's, a, the, there's some good stuff there, right? I know, I've been getting excited yeah. for this movie that you hated. Uh, but, and that's frustrating because there is some good stuff there, but I, I cannot even begin to, I feel like I might be overstating, but I was talking with, uh, the person, the, the, the person that, uh, uh, is going to be on the show in a few days. She was actually at the screening that I went to. And so we were there when the audience laughed at some of these 
terrible lines. Um, there's one where <laughs> the only where, thing I would regret is giving up. Oh boy. I wish, <laughs> I wish it were that. No. Um, so there's a, there's somebody, there's a, a scene where a guy from the boat tries to get down to them with like a new, with a hook, uh, to, to pull them up. Uh, and, and he is killed because they need, you know, someone needs to die in a movie like this and, um, and dies in front of one of the girls. And then when she swims back to the, uh, to the cage, she says, she's like, uh, she, uh, the, the one in the cage says, what happened? He's like, it's like Javier, they ripped him to pieces, ripped him to pieces, <laughs> you know? And then there was another one where it's like, we just need to stay here until the coast guard arrives. And it's like, and I remember a thing like, arrives <laughs> who says arrives and then it's like and then one of them it's like it's like i managed to get away managed <laughs> the fuck what are you talking about managed i don't say managed in when i'm talking to you in a uh-huh. podcast when i when i need to sound as smart as i can i certainly don't say it when i'm in the midst of a horrifying situation uh and then it's uh, and but then so those are lines where it's like, okay, well that's something much more written than said, but then there's lines like the shark, om- uh, the shark almost got me. <laughs> that's a line that is said in the movie. I, I don't understand. And, and I mean, it when got I to the see point something like this. It's like, and I, but I say, I don't understand, but I do understand. Cause the question that I always want to ask is like, why didn't anyone say anything? And the re- but having worked as a PA on movie sets, it's yeah. because most people on the set are, you know, non-verbally made aware that they're not supposed to say anything. Yes. That even though you've got hundreds of people, there's like two people who can make any decisions yeah. because you, because the hierarchy is so strictly enforced uh, and, the, and the egos are so fucking fragile. So the director co-wrote the film. So obviously he's not going to cut any of this stuff out. Uh Also, let me throw this out at you. So the director's name is Johannes Roberts. Mm -hmm. So during the opening credits, uh, when it comes time for the title, it says Johannes Roberts, 47 meters down. Wow. The balls, right? Oh, how did he get that? I don't know. But, uh, so like this is his movie. He owns it. No one's going to say to him, Hey, this uh, dialogue is terrible. Um, and so it really is. So I'll say this, like there was genuine suspense early on. And after a while, it's like, though the suspense, though the director is still doing the same things, I'm cringing so hard or laughing at this terrible dialogue delivered you know, God bless them. Mandy Moore and Claire Holt, they do their best, but they're not the strongest act, uh, actors out there. And it really doesn't, they, they don't really sell those lines very well. Um, and, and so I'm, I'm laughing. The theater was laughing. Um, and I'm just cringing and I just want it to be not unlike the characters. I want it to be over. Mm. Um, and then poor Matthew Modine, who is the, uh, he plays the captain of the ship. And so he's, so you only hear him as a voice, which again, after a certain point, uh, which I like a lot, but sure. He liked it too. <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> uh, except the stuff they give him to say, I mean, his, all of his dialogue is just pure 
exposition and raising the stakes, constantly reminding them and us that, uh, you can't come straight up quickly cause you're going to get the bend. Sure. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, when you get to th- this number of bars on your oxygen tank, like, you know, you can, you can't get below this amount or otherwise you're going to be in trouble or like, okay, well we're sending down some new tanks. This is a big one. We're sending down some new tanks, but here's the thing. And I wish I had it in front of me because it, it reads like a, like a pamphlet. Uh-huh. Um, now you need to be careful when you, uh, when you switch tanks, the possibility of like, like, like nitric like nitrous poisoning or something like that. I don't remember. There's a, an official term for it. Um, the, the likelihood of nitrous poisoning is raised dramatically, which can result in blah, blah, blah. And, and hallucinations like, all right, well, there's going to be some fucking hallucinations. Otherwise, why would they say that? And sure enough, there are, um, did but, he literally say the words, which can result in, <laughs> you know what? Here's the thing. I don't think so, but maybe, yeah. <laughs> um, it, it is, I mean, you, I, there's real, there's real artistry to the suspense in this film and artistry for m- most of the time can, for me, uh, cancel out or at least make me forget a bad script uh, or bad dialogue, but there's so much dialogue cause the characters are constantly talking to each other. Um, that it just was constantly reasserting itself. It is a, st- you know what? Maybe everyone go see it because <laughs> maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think I am like that whole theater. And it was not only a theater of critics, by the way, right? It was at the Grove. So like the critics all had the best seats, but then they brought in, you yeah. know, just normies <laughs> and the whole theater was laughing. You know, the shark almost got me. He ri- the shark ripped him to pieces. Like, I mean, it's, it is astonishing. Well, uh, have you been watching any television? I have now that, you know, funny you should mention that David. Uh, yeah, I, I, uh, I watched Silicon Valley, which I've been okay. enjoying thoroughly. Me too. Um, and, I'm trying to think what the most recent episode was. Oddly enough, it is not. Uh, uh, it was the Keenan Vortex. Okay. Uh, the, it was the, the, the Haley Joe Osment centric episode. Yes. I, I really like what he's doing on the show. I too. really like him. I like his like, you're going to do it. Yeah. Gonna, like, <laughs> uh, he is very convincing. Uh, yeah. I'm glad to see that he's like, not only is he working again, but he is still a good actor. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and playing a very specific type of role and playing it well, um, and bringing a fair amount of charisma to it. Yeah. It was nice to see our friend Steven. This was the best Steven episode of this season so far. No question. Um, his, uh, <laughs> his thing uh, at the end, I thought it was pretty great. Oh, that was very great. But the thing I liked is that like, the whole scene is setting up that he's like trying to live up to what Gavin did. Yeah. But then we're reminded he's not like Gavin in every other way. When he tells Hoover, the security guard, get the fuck out of my office. Yeah. <laughs> that was such a great <laughs> end to that scene. Cause it's like you, we think we're seeing like, Oh, this is the Gavin Hoover dynamic. I think it is Hoover. Isn't it? Isn't that his name? I think so. Uh, yeah. It's the Gavin Hoover dynamic, but now it's Jack instead of Gavin. That's what we think we're seeing. Yeah. And he goes, Hoover, 
get the fuck out of my house. <laughs> oh, I laughed so hard. And it's after, so he says that after being like, I already have all these box puns, <laughs> yeah. you know? So like, he seems very much like a dad. And then there at the end, when he brings a uh, Hilly Joel Osment in, <laughs> who does like, you know, virtual reality. And yeah. so he goes, are you excited? I know VR. <laughs> yeah. And just like, and he sells it so wonderfully. Yeah. Um, yeah, I really like what, uh, what Steven was doing. And, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's, do you, I think I, I think I do like this season. I think we've talked about this before that it's, it's more episodic than previous yeah. seasons. Uh, yeah. I think my ranking of seasons currently, this one isn't over yet, but it goes three, four, two, one. I think this is okay. not as good as last season, but it's better than the first two. I do think that there are a couple, uh, and I think we've, I think I did say this on the show, um, before that I do think there are some, not wasted opportunities, but I would have liked maybe one more episode of Richard and Gavin trying to work together. Yeah, yeah, we talked about this off mic. That's right. Um, I think. Oh, off mic. Okay. Yeah. I, th- I think that it it could have because they've been rivals for so long, and to see to see Gavin putting his ego aside, or at least trying to, because he actually does see something in this tech. It's a side of him we haven't seen before, and and when he actually does leave that's a side of him we haven't seen before so that's nice but i would yeah. have liked one more episode of it but i like it's uh, it's something you and i used to talk about with um the office about how like um uh i guess michael scott or or david brent i guess whichever mm-hmm. one we're talking about um seems so incompetent so much of the time and then right. we get to see them the salesman that's when we realize like, Oh, that's how they got here. Right. And I feel like we, we, we get that. We got that with Gavin here. Like, all right, this guy is a tech genius. Um, and then we occasionally get it with Ehrlich, uh, throughout the series where it's like so much of him is just this like pompous windbag. It doesn't seem like he could ever actually do anything. But when, the when the the situation calls for bullshit yeah he he can do it better than anyone and he's saved the pied piper's ass more than one yeah. time through his ability to bullshit uh and, and I, I you see this is this is how he got where he is well and and sometimes it's bullshit other times it's the ability to recognize bullshit um cuz he does it's weird he he knows the industry enough to recognize something amazing when he sees it. Like when, when I think at some point doesn't, I think it's third, second or third season. I don't remember when like Hooli offers to buy Pied Piper and everyone is like despondent and he just starts laughing because like they have no idea what they just did. Mm -hmm. They just set our price way up here and no one thought about it except him. And but it doesn't seem out of character for him to realize that because he's a guy right, who yeah. is constantly thinking about this. Yeah. Um, but I also like in a moment that honestly felt nicely vulnerable is when he's trying to be there. Uh, he's trying to, to hobnob with, with uh, these tech guys, these savvy tech guys, and they want to play like a basketball game oh, right. and he's out of shape and he's not this kind of guy. He is more of a nerd. He is, yeah. you know, and that's something I can absolutely relate to is that like that even if I am, even if I am like more socially savvy than I, than I used to be like when it comes right down to it, like I am a nerd and I cannot <laughs> in the same way they're like, 
like I can hang out with, with my fellow students and, and feel pretty good about it. And I, and, and it, I can make jokes and all that. But when it comes time and they're like, Oh, Hey, we're having a party. And it's like, I don't drink. Mm-hmm. I don't smoke weed. Like I don't do any of this stuff that is, that is more, you know, associated with like being a social person, uh, especially in a certain age group and in a certain setting. And so I'm just like, I, I guess that is where I, where I stop, um, as far as my own comfort level and my own abilities. And so that really resonated with me and it was funny, but it also, it's like whenever a character is made aware or reminded of their own limitations, it can be a very sad and melancholy moment. And, and that I thought was maybe I'm bringing a lot of myself to it, but I thought that was actually a very melancholy moment. For, yeah, it for, was for Ehrlich. Um, um, all right. Uh, I guess we've been, it's been a while since we recorded. So, um, I think I'll just mention modern family just because of the fact okay. that they ended their season, their eighth season. They've already been renewed for two more. Yeah. Um, but uh, I feel like I'm in the minority because, uh, uh, at least, uh, of people that I associate with, because uh, most people who, even those who used to like Modern Family, uh, have have tuned out, and I don't blame them because the show got bad for a while, and I feel like it got better this season. It's not what it once was, but it feels like a coherent, you know, work of storytelling, uh, this season with the, the writers are back to paying attention to the characters as opposed to just like, you know, uh, shuffling them through the same handful of plots over and over again in different formations. Like they're actually, um, finally sort of acknowledging that, uh, these characters are, are, are growing up. Like at this point, all three of the Dunphy kids are college age. None of them Mm. like the, this episode was Luke's, uh, Luke and Manny's graduation. That was a retcon, by the way. In the early seasons, Luke and Manny were not in the same grade. They changed mm. that about halfway through, I think, to give Luke and Manny more scenes together, you know, and make them sort of a comedy duo. They were like, let's age Manny up a year and have him be in the same grade as, as Luke. Um, that's fine. TV yeah. does that. Uh, so it was Luke and Manny's graduation in the, in the finale. And so uh, um, uh, you're actually seeing that and, and seeing things move uh, forward. And also there was an episode before the la- last one, which was almost, I took it almost as a way of like commenting on how they've intentionally stagnated the characters, you know, mm-hmm. like having Haley, like go off to college, but then f- f- fail out and come back. And then like uh, Alex goes off to college, but then she gets mono and takes a semester off. Just so they like, they keep not wanting to move the kids out of the house. Yeah. And so they did an episode about Phil and Claire being kind of frustrated with their kids that they like had this plan. Like once their kids were all 18, they'd be able to, you know, have their lives back and go on vacations and, and like have more of a social life and hear like, you know, their son's about to graduate high school and all of them are still living at home. And like, it was a really interesting episode about them being kind of fed up with their own kids. Hmm. Uh, and I, and I, I don't know if it was intended as a, a sort of, uh, apologia or self uh, commentary, but no. that's how I took it. Um, yeah, so the, this this season, I, I don't think I'm going to convince anyone to come back to Modern Family because, um, like I said, it's not. Even though it's better, it's not uh, as good as it used to be. Yeah. Um, but there are occasionally, um, you know, there are occasionally still some great jokes. Wait, have I? Okay, I have told the joke from the Australian episode. The Australia episode. Maybe it's one of my favorite jokes in maybe the history of television. Okay. Uh, because it's exactly my kind of joke. 
Okay. Listeners might have heard this, and maybe you're just forgetting, Tyler. But, okay. They go to Australia, and the, the show actually went and shot in Australia. That's what happens when you're the biggest show on ABC. You get yeah. to go shoot. Um, and Claire's storyline was that she couldn't get away from her work. She brought her laptop with her, and everywhere she went, she was working on this presentation she had to give when she got back mm-hmm. uh, back to work. And people would tell her, like, you know, put down the laptop or, you know, come join us or whatever. But she kept saying, like, I have to do this presentation. This is my baby. This is my baby. I have uh, to work on it. This is my baby, right? She keeps referring to it as her baby. At one point, they're on, like, an outback hike or safari type thing, and they're stopping for lunch under the tent, under these tents, and she's sitting at this picnic table and working on her her laptop, uh, working on her baby. Um, and she gets up to go get some more food and a dingo comes out of nowhere, grabs her laptop <laughs> oh, okay. and runs off. And she goes, a wild dog took my laptop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's pretty funny. Uh, I left so hard. I had to pause it. And I think, uh, Natalie didn't find it as funny as I did and was probably kind of annoyed with me. Cause she was probably like, just let's just watch the rest of the episode. That's, and that's pretty like, damn that's, funny. That yeah, that's like the show has in its better days. Uh, and some Arrested Development fans will uh, object to this, but has ha, did garner comparisons to Arrested Development, and that is an Arrested Development level joke. <laughs> yes, absolutely. All right, I talked too much about Modern Family. Uh, so I watched a couple episodes of Iron Fist, and. So, of course, and I had, I did it reluctant. I was actually looking forward to the show, and then, you know, those reviews came along, and it just yeah. sounded terrible. So, actually, now that I think about it, I watched three episodes. And I don't know if I would say it quite deserves the level of scorn that it has gotten, but, boy, it is not far off. It is definitely the the worst of the four Netflix Marvel shows. Um and I'm not a big fan of, uh, of Jennifer Jones, Jessica Jones, pardon me. Um, right. Jessica Jones. Yeah. yeah. Jennifer Jones. Jennifer Jones. Yeah. She was an actress. An actress. Yeah. yeah that's right. the sun. Yes. Yes. Um, <laughs> you know what? I'm not a big fan of her either. Now that I think about it. Um, so, uh, but yeah, the, the show that they don't seem to know like how to write these characters or what to do with them. It, they don't, and it winds up just getting frustrating because the main character uh, has uh, disappeared when he was young and it was a presumed dead. And then he shows up 15 years later. So, you know, it's understandable that people might not think he is who he is, especially because he stands to inherit a great deal of money because he was from a rich family. Um, but he's just spent so much time trying to explain himself, but not really knowing how which, okay, that's fine. He's been outside of normal society for so long that it'll take him a while to get acclimated. But at the same time, after a certain point, it makes him seem naive, and then it quickly moves into dumb. It makes him seem dumb, um, which is frustrating. Uh, And then another aspect is, so the main character's name is Danny Rand. I know that because they say it 18 billion times constantly that is, i remember seeing that on twitter that was a complaint that a lot of people had. really yeah. okay yeah i i actually did not see a lot of like the twitter complaints it is weird how much people really want you to know this guy's name is danny rand i guess because you know 
I guess one one show is called Jessica Jones and one is called Luke Cage, sir. So I guess you know that. Um, but, that reminds me real quick. Okay. Did you see? I can't remember what talk show it was, but Natasha Leone was on a talk show recently. Okay. She's on Orange is New Black. And she was talking about, I guess, Netflix had flown a bunch of different cast members from different Netflix shows down to like Brazil or whatever. Mm-hmm. And she was telling the story and she referred to Daredevil as the blind show. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Um, <laughs> but I think she just didn't know the name of it. I don't think she was trying to be funny. Yeah. Uh, well, that makes it even funnier, I think. And also, she played a blind character in Blade Trinity. All right. Good to know. Uh, so, anyway. Uh, so, yeah, Iron Fist, it just... There's some good stuff in there, um, and uh, David Wenham plays the villain, and he's pretty good. I like I like what they're doing with his character quite a bit, um, but it's yeah. Maybe I'll keep watching it. I feel like I'm interested, partially because I'm excited for the Defenders, which comes out I think later this year, um, and features uh, Sigourney Weaver as the big bad, which is exciting. Um, but yeah, I'll keep you posted because. I don't know. They just don't seem to know what to do. It's almost like they wanted to make a movie and then no, you have to make it into a series and they're like, all right, I guess we'll just have a lot of filler, I guess. I don't know. Um, so yeah, iron fist is, uh, not, uh, not doing it for me, David. Uh, all right. Um, I will try to briefly mention twin peaks. I feel like twin peaks is something I can either talk about for five minutes or for five hours. Um, and you're not watching it yet. Not yet. Um, it's, it's fantastic. Um, I did have a bit of an adjustment period because I like crammed rewatching the original show right before I started watching mm-hmm. the new ones. And there's a, a huge difference in tone. Um, uh, in some ways, and in some ways it has a lot of the old charms. Um, but I, it does take some, some adjustment. This is very much a, 2017 david lynch project in a lot of in a lot of ways Hmm. um you know especially i mean you know how the original show ended yes cooper's uh or at least the uh so you know cooper spoilers i guess for people who haven't watched the original one skip ahead if you need to if you're still listening right now um uh you know so cooper came out of the black lodge possessed by by bob Mm -hmm. so the the good cooper or his essence, whatever is still in the black lodge. And so the multi episode process of trying to get him out of the black lodge back into the real world is just like, I can't help but wondering how like people who watched the show in the nineties because it was a big deal tuning in now to see like, Oh, I wonder if I remember any of these characters and watching this multi episode, just like total freak out happen. I wonder how they, how they would process that. I mean, it gets, uh, it gets super, super lynchy there. Well, and I know that there are, there are a couple articles, um, about the first couple show, uh, first couple episodes that they said, that over the last 25 years, Twin Peaks has come to be remembered as this kind of goofy, charming thing, you know, pie and coffee and all that. Uh, and that the 
strangeness and the Lynchian qualities mm-hmm. have sort of been have sort of evaporated over the years and people remember the less mystical elements and the less surreal elements or the ones they do remember they remember like you know the the smaller guy like dancing mm-hmm. or they remember the giant but they see it as kind of a, a a goofy and delightfully quirky thing right like northern exposure like northern uh, that's great yes yeah. um but that uh and that the the writer of these episodes was anticipating a backlash from people that have come to think of Twin Peaks a very specific way. But uh, as far as I can tell, there hasn't really been that backlash from from viewers. They seem to be enjoying it and yeah. seem to be able to adapt to what Lynch is doing. Yeah, and it it doesn't hurt that it's it's been. Uh, I mean, it has been dark. There's been some some pretty dark stuff, but it's also been pretty funny. Okay. Uh, um, especially our friend. Uh, Josh Fadum has now appeared in two episodes. That's exciting. I don't, I don't know if he'll be in in the next one, but he's uh, um, he's very funny uh, and very. Uh, I, I recognized him by voice before yeah. before uh, I even saw his his face because um, he's talking. His introduction, he's talking to a character named Dougie, and he calls him Dougie, and I was like, <laughs> "That's so Josh." Uh, is it uh, is it weird to see? Uh, our buddy Josh in the midst of this other thing. Um, I guess, I mean, um, he usually in real life keeps his hair longer. His hair is very short. On this. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I guess that, that's a little weird, but, uh, not really. I guess I get, I get over it pretty quick. Uh, yeah. All right. Now here we go. I will say, speaking of Josh Fado. Oh, sorry. Before okay. we move on. Um, one thing that, um, uh, I've noticed uh, that uh, not just me, everyone has noticed is how many people from the original Twin Peaks have since passed away because almost every episode ends up being dedicated to someone. Oh, because, wow. uh, obviously Miguel Ferrer. Yeah. Um, um, and Catherine, um, the log lady, I forget her last name. Right. Uh, both of them were able to shoot their scenes before they, before yeah. they passed away. But also, um, uh, Frank Silva, who played Bob, and um, Jack Nance uh, died a while ago. Uh, Jack Nance, yeah, um, and um, uh, Don S. Davis, who played uh, General Briggs. Yeah, um, even though he had like both Bob and General Briggs have made appearances on the new Twin Peaks, but it's like you know old footage. Oh, okay. Because um, uh, uh, yeah, man, I love Major Briggs. Yeah, Bob, yeah, me too. But Frank Silva, who played Bob, died like only a couple years after the show got was off the well, was off the air. Same with Jack yeah. Nance, who, yeah, yeah, uh, unfortunately. Um, so that's been kind of like uh, you know, um, uh, I feel like I might even be missing uh, someone, but it's uh, it's been weird to see uh, like almost every episode is like dedicated to someone yeah. who, who passed away. All right, all right. Sorry. Speaking of Josh Fadum, there is a show uh, called Complicated. That is on the new streaming platform, Viewboo. I always have to remember how to spell it. So if you if you go to viewboo.com, V-I-O-O-B-U.com, mm-hmm. uh, there's a show complicated uh, created by Craig Healy. And yeah. it I, mean, is, I, I imagine everyone must have heard of it by now. It's a critical yeah. uh, runaway success. Yeah. And, you know, it's right in the middle of like their Emmy campaign yeah. uh, right now, if you follow them on Twitter. Um, um, and yeah, jo- I mean, Twin Peaks, Better Call Saul, Complicated. Josh yeah. can't stop being in these prestige shows. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's really interesting. So, uh, and it is like a, an original Viewboo uh, show. So go to viewboo.com that I know that sounds like an advertisement, but this is the only place to find the show. And it's, uh, you know, it's similar to, uh, other like 
kind of dramedy type shows like Master of None and uh, Crashing, Crashing, and I'd say maybe Marin, uh, perhaps. I didn't watch Marin, but like Louis, yeah, Louis, yeah. And so, um, so yeah, if you like those shows, I think you will uh, enjoy this show quite a bit. Okay. Um, only thing I have left is Amazing Race. Same with you? Or do you have uh, is else? that the same with me? Yes, that is all I have. Okay. Um, uh, I feel that weirdly I don't have that much to say except that, okay, obviously spoilers for The Amazing Race, as always, when we do this. Um, but it's been over two and a half hours. You're not listening anymore. This is right. just for us. Um, uh, I think, I, based on Twitter, I'm like the only person who was happy with the results. Uh, I was... I'm not sure if I would say I was happy, but I was fine with the results. Like there's just, there is something the, and you've talked about it before that there's something about the amazing race where if you win, you earned it. And while I might not be happy for you, I'm not going to dispute it either. You know, with survivor, there are times when it's like that person should not have won. And some people say like, well, Hey, if you can win survivor, you deserve to win survivor. Then there are other people say like that, should not have happened mm-hmm. like uh because then it's like oh well the jury you know it's it's a very subjective type of thing the jury talk to each other and they make plans and they get bitter and all that sort of thing whereas if you win the amazing race no one can dispute it you yeah. won the amazing race yeah. and so just by virtue of winning i feel like i'm kind of on your side because congratulations you did it uh well i think um for me uh, I, all that i co-sign all of that um for me of the three teams left uh the winners we're gonna say who it is uh brooke and scott Mm. um are the ones that i would be most likely to get along with i think in in real life uh i know this is after i spent the first half of the season complaining about brooke yeah um and her uh whininess um and her crybabiness about everything everything and like everything like just but but I came to realize this is just how she processes things because she would constantly say like I can't do it I can't do this yeah. but she didn't she didn't actually give up that's just like how she works through stuff yeah um, the only time she came really close to giving up was uh, in when they were had the steel yeah they had to make like ladles or something yeah that's right that's what it was yeah. ladles um, because she I mean she. Brooke clearly doesn't have a lot of upper body strength. I mean, I don't want to comment on, you know, she's she's a very uh, petite woman and demonstrated time and time again uh, a lack of upper body strength. And that's what she needed for that. And she couldn't do it. Um, uh, But other than that, like she ended up doing all the stuff she she said she she couldn't do. Um, But I did feel I had to in watching the final episode I spent the first half of it having to remind myself what the stakes were mm-hmm. because I spent the entire season hating. I keep saying hating Matt and Redmond, but really it was just Redmond. I was fine with Matt. Yeah. I mean, I probably wouldn't hang out with Matt. It doesn't seem like a guy I have a lot in common with, yeah. but Redmond was the one who like, uh, right from the beginning, from the way he, uh, like, uh, berated uh, Vank and Ashton for you turning him and then like his shitty comments about like how uh, being the only all male team was a bonus because they didn't emotions didn't have to come into it like all that kind of stuff that he did and said um, really made me turn on him and mm-hmm. um, usually what I like about the amazing race is usually there'll be someone that I 
hate early on who comes to be humanized over the course of the race. That's sure. kind of like the charm of it. And that's exactly kind of what happened with Brooke here. Uh, it never happened for me with Redmond, I think because he was never humbled by the, by the right. race until the second to last episode. And the second to last episode was the one that was, there's always at least one episode a season that I watched the last 10 minutes on my feet. Um, wow. and I, and with the video game thing, you know, and yeah. Tara having so much trouble to the point of Matt almost catching up to her, like yeah. I was on my feet waiting for it. And so when Matt and Redmond got eliminated in the second to last episode, I was over the moon. And so in the first episode, like London and Logan in last, in last place and like subconsciously, I'm like, what are they worried about? They already like in my, yeah. in my mind, everybody already won. Cause Matt and Redmond are out and like, yeah. Oh wait, they still need a million dollars. They're still trying to get a million dollars. So I had to, I had to adjust a little bit. Uh, what are your thoughts on Matt and Redmond? Um, yeah, I mean, I think I like Matt uh, a lot more. He just is like a really positive guy and all that. And Redmond was fine, but I think it's just one of those things he has. So this this happens so often, and I say this as somebody who has a pretty small comfort zone myself, that I think when people are outside their comfort zone, and this is the same with Survivor, you you see an uglier side of, of them. And, uh, and competition can bring that out as well. And mm-hmm. so uh, maybe this kind of, maybe this revealed some things that Redmond just sort of assumed being kind of, you know, a military guy and often hanging out with other guys. Mm-hmm. Um, and just, you suddenly realize like, because there is, I think there is an assumption amongst certain people that like, Oh yeah, well we, we men are not governed by our emotions and all that. And of course I don't think that at all because I have to live with me <laughs> yeah. and yeah, I know exactly. how that is. So, um, so yeah, uh, but I, you know, and as tends to happen, see, I thought he was going to say, Hey, uh, it's good to be the only all male team because all male teams tend to win. That's, and that's, that's true. Yeah. So, uh, but it was kind of, it was, it, their elimination made the, the final episode so much more exciting because i genuinely didn't know who yeah, was going to win is, yeah they were all pretty evenly matched i would say um i will say as much as i like uh oh shoot it's tara and joey joey i did like them Mo- mom and dad i guess is what they call them because they're older although they didn't really register as that much older no, to they, me. they're just older than the average right. for this race yeah right but they're not uh, yeah um, we've seen, you we've seen like genuinely old, genuine old folks run yeah. the race. I ruptured my Achilles. <laughs> <laughs> and you were that guy? Yeah. Uh, and then there was, uh, like the older, uh, man and woman. And like the guy is like climbing, a climbing a wall and like his butt is, is hanging out. Uh-huh. And then the woman's like, I like the view I have. <laughs> you remember? I don't remember that, but yeah. that's, that's adorable. I don't remember who it was, but uh, anyway, um, but there was a thing that I really, I don't know. It's, I feel, I don't like, it makes me uncomfortable to talk about someone I like when they do, when they do something bad, but then it's like, well, yeah, I'm just calling out the thing that they did that yeah. I don't like. Uh, during the video game, Tara was not doing well. And I'm kind of astonished that it's like, it's, it's also, I, 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 I don't like judging people. And I also, I kind of felt like Tara, you are not doing what you need to do. Like, Come on. Look, I understand that you don't like video games, but get with the program. You need to play one here. Yeah. Uh, at least recognize that you need to push your buttons faster. Uh, like it bothered 
it bothered me so much. I get that. I was, but then yeah. I was also bothered by Joey's attitude. Yeah. Because so I think I know what you're going to say. Because she's playing against like a professional gamer who's like this young kid. Um, and he's like, he goes, ah, oh, there's like this young kid. I can't do the accent. Yeah. He's like, it's like, ah, oh, this young kid, like he's going to, going to beat up on like uh, this, this older woman's like, that's the fucking challenge, man. Yeah. This is, that's what he's being paid to do yeah. at the moment. And also, Every time the guy won, he was saying, I'm sorry. Yeah. And that could be in the editing, but like, sure. He seemed like he, he, he's like, that guy's like the blackjack dealer at a casino. Like, yeah. he has to do the best he can, even though he wants the other person to win. Yeah. It's a blackjack deal. That's great. Yes. A blackjack dealer at a, at a casino is not winning and being like, I'm pretty great. And I just <laughs> showed up this old woman. Cause I'm, and I, everyone's <laughs> going to know how great I am. Like based on what Joey uh, said, like that's what these gamers are thinking. Yeah. Um, and while, uh, while I know from survivor that, uh, professional gamers do tend to be a little bit egotistical. Like these, these gamers were like always really happy when the other person yeah. won. And he was apologizing a lot. Even yeah. if it wasn't the editing, he apologized several times. Yeah. And so like, it just bothers me when people start to get mad at the show. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's what happened with what's his name earlier, uh, in this, uh, in this season, the guy who, uh, who's, uh, testicles uh i know you don't like when i say balls but like they started to get all like uh, twisted up fucking guy and he Um, just got mad shamir was that his name something like that yes and he got mad at the show and he got mad at phil and it's just like you know i know i know that people say you know uh don't hate the player hate the game but like you signed up for this game. You know what it, you knew what it was going to be like. Why are you wanting the game to take it easy on you now? Uh, I understand you get frustrated, but at the same, and maybe I would think the same thing, but come on, it just, it yeah. really bothered me. And I recognize that it's just one, you know, it's a one bad moment, but yeah. it really did get to me. Um, one question to circle back to Brooke. This is something I said to you off mic, but I want to put it up to the listener. Cause I said it to my wife too. And she was like, yeah, maybe you're right. Uh, I think I have a little bit of, um, what, like not anti, like soft sexism in a certain way here. Sure. In the sense that there was the guy, Mike, the butcher guy, right. Who was also, I think a big whiner. He wasn't a literal cry baby boy. He didn't actually shed tears, but he was, he would whine a lot as soon as things didn't go his way and he would get really petulant. Um, it's a good word for it. And that annoyed me so much it annoyed me way more than when brooke did it and i wonder am i giving brooke a pass because i'm expecting mike to be more of a man or whatever is that something internalized in me i wonder what i wonder what the listeners think but i want to know what you think too i think uh there's the possibility it's like there there's maybe it's like well she's a she's a woman of course she's gonna whine you know uh, right but it's, i think it's more harsh on my i think it's more like right be, it's more of a be a man type of situation that right I, that i have but i would say that it actually it has less to do with him being a man than him being the type of man that he presents himself as he's a big burly guy he's right. got this big beard he seems like a viking right um yeah. And so for a, so you don't expect a Viking and don't get me wrong. Like I, I'm not judging anybody, uh, any man who's going to be a little bit emotional and petulant. I am. Um, <laughs> but I also don't present myself as anything other than that. Uh, my tattoo about uh, citizen Kane aside, um, <laughs> I, I don't put myself out there as being super masculine. Whereas I think Mike did, uh, or at least even just the, 
the choice of how he looks seems to convey strength mm-hmm. and ruggedness and that sort of thing. And then also when he was talking about like, Oh, so my partner like doesn't even know what it is to like how to row a boat. It's like, okay, yeah. that's, that's expecting her to have a, a, done this kind of physical manly thing. And but so it, if you're going to present yourself that way, then I think there is a certain expectation that you want other people to have of you that you are then not living up to. Yeah. And he did that. It wasn't just a rowing thing. Anytime he was good at something, he got yeah. smug. Like, I don't know how anyone could not be good at this. Yeah. Like when he found the uh, hidden compartment in the drawers that had the key in it, he right. was like, I can't understand how anyone wouldn't have found that. Yeah. Like, and, but then anytime anything didn't go his way, it was stupid and he couldn't believe it. And it was yeah. uh, Liz's fault or whatever. Yeah. And the idea of like, like with the, I remember Jen and I at the time, it's like, guys, I don't understand how anybody can like not row a boat. It's like, because it's 2017. <laughs> yeah, we That's why, yeah. you know, we're not going down the mighty Mississippi. We're driving yeah. in cars. Yeah. Uh, it's fine. Yeah. So yeah, it was, we're not, we're not Lewis and Clark over here. Exactly. So it was very, very bothersome, but I think I like the season overall.